You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to the 42 cast, your ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. As always, I am your host, Nathan, and we have another great episode lined up for you where we're going to talk about Star Trek Discovery Season 3. But before we do that, let's meet our cast for this week. And so, uh, first up, you know him as the man that you love to hate. He is the guy that uh, Pluto is going to look up in a dark alley one day, and that is Ryan. How are you doing, Ryan? You know... I'm doing great, and Pluto deeply respects me, just for the record. Um, <laughs> I have been to Pluto's birthplace on Earth many, many times. And, uh, you know, we, we have a good working... I mean, we agree to disagree. It's, it's very much the Xavier Magneto uh, oh, relationship. Okay. Yeah. yeah. If, nice. if I was like, you know... Um, Angel, you know. <laughs> All right, I was about to say because then in that analogy, wouldn't like Neil deGrasse Tyson be like <laughs> exactly <laughs> right? Okay, yeah. So you're Angel. Okay. Right. <laughs> so one of the most minor of X Men. All right, I got it. I got it. All right. I kind of resent that, but I can't argue with it. <laughs> <laughs> so what's uh, what's new and exciting for you, Ryan? Uh, same old, same old. I mean, you know, just. Just gambling 2021 is going to be better than 2020. Um, Have you we'll had your vaccination yet? Yeah, yeah, I've been fully vaccinated for a couple of, for a while now, um, mm. work related. But um, you know, so uh, I, I'm really disappointed. My superpowers were just severely tired for an, an afternoon. So that no. was disappointing. Yeah. But, um, Sounds better than what I ended up with. Oh no. <laughs> I, but, um, I got my butt kicked by that second shot and ended up with a uh, a massive fever and barely being able to drag myself out of the bed to go to the bathroom all day. Wee! But it disappeared like 10 o'clock, my fever broke, and bam, I was fine. <laughs> yeah, my, the, my second one was way worse than my first one. Um, I and, and my arm was sore. I couldn't even lift it above my uh, shoulder. But um, Which one that, did you have, Ryan? I had Pfizer. Okay. I also had Pfizer. See, it's interesting, yeah, because like my mother swears to me, you know, she's a nurse, and she's like, "No, everybody who has Pfizer, no side effects. It's just Moderna." And it's like, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it's like everyone no. in our family has had Pfizer, and they're all fine. And I'm like, okay, Pfizer but it's like you guys, are, my butt. Yeah, yeah, you guys are telling me, you know, about Pfizer, and it's just like, yeah, I mean, so I'm going to have Pfizer next week, and so that's why I'm at. You know, but I think it just depends on you because, like, I've, I've never had a reaction to any vaccine, the flu Ooh. shot, you know, uh, tetanus, anything, nothing, never a problem. Um, but uh, I mean, this, this is my first one ever having a reaction. Tim didn't have much of a reaction at all. He just had a little bit of head fog and a headache and a sore arm the next day. And he also had Pfizer. Um, it seems women are more likely to get any side effects than men are. Um, so 
Yay, women! Hmm. <laughs> but women outlive us, though. Right, that's true. It's <laughs> the trade-off. So you're saying my day of agony was retribution for that? <laughs> but uh, but yeah, Ryan. But but before we came on, you were telling us about the excitement of watching the Snyder Cut. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's how I spent my uh, lazy rainy Sunday afternoon. Uh, um, it, it was, I had uh, off to you that you watched the whole thing and interrupted uh, like uh, that was sitting. the only way. Way. That was the only way. I just had to power through that. You know, <laughs> it's, you know, I was. I mean, I, you know, I will say this: Snyder has a vision. I can't deny that, and he's got his own unique talent. But it's, it's an acquired taste. I think it must be something purely genetic. Either he does it for you, or he doesn't. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just like the vaccine, yeah. it's purely <laughs> genetic. Exactly. <laughs> and I think Nathan said something very similar to that before you came on. He was saying that Snyder, uh, Snyder has a right to his vision and he's pretty good at it. He just don't know if it should be turned loose on certain properties. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I'll just repeat myself what I've said before about Snyder. I think he's a, a good director, a terrible writer. Mm. Mm. Fair well enough. Said. That's fair. Nope. All right. Well, it's good to have you back on the show, Ryan. It's good to be back. <laughs> All right. And so one of those other voices you heard, she is my co-host when I'm doing the Star Trek podcast uh that is my longtime friend stephanie how are you doing stephanie hello well you heard that i have had the second shot and had a day of agony from that but otherwise we're entering the season where all the trees are having sex so my my sinuses are thrilled about that but otherwise i'm good Mm, yeah things haven't like warmed up enough here for there to be any pollen or anything in the air it's uh it's still very cold and nasty (laughs) It was beautiful here yesterday, and I was talking to my mom, who, for people who are listening, I'm originally from the town that Nathan currently lives in, um, but then I moved uh, out of state. But I was talking to her, and she's like, yeah, it's gross and cold and rainy here today, and well, guess what it was like out in Pennsylvania today? Gross and cold and rainy. (laughs) We're just trading it back and forth. Yeah, because actually tomorrow is supposed to be fairly warm and nice. So uh, yeah, it's hopping back and forth between warm and cold. There's snow in the forecast with like a sixty day, a sixty degree day right after it. I'm like, okay. Yeah, well, a friend of mine was posting about. I'm so happy that spring is here. You know, like and winter's been kicked to the curb and all this kind of stuff. And I, I posted a reply saying like, yes, we've had one, we've had one winter, yes, but what about second winter? <laughs> I've been calling it Fool's Spring, so. Right. <laughs> hey, uh, Texas got your second winner, you know, a few weeks back. So. <laughs> <laughs> We're good. That's true. You guys got like 10 years worth of winners all at <laughs> once. So, yeah, I do. We saved up. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's something yeah, that uh, I wouldn't wish on anybody. But, um, so yeah, Stephanie, what else has been going on for you besides having horrible reactions to vaccines? <laughs> well, actually, about three hours ago, I finished my fourth novel. Nice. Yay! Um, this one had been a, a bit of a chore to write, not because of like writer's block or the subject matter or anything like that. It's just um, I started writing it in 2020. <laughs> And that just proved to be a difficult year. Um, and within it, I also start. I moved to a new house. Um, I had just a ton of stuff going on 
where it was just difficult to find the time to write. So this one ended up taking me longer from start to finish than most of them to complete. But um, once I finally got to sit down and just write again, it all came together in just like the last two months. So I am quite pleased. Now comes the fun part of proofreading and editing, which will be eternal. <laughs> so do you know how long your series is going to go? Like number of books? Um, not entirely. Of ideas that I had before I actually started writing them, I had it outlined to approximately seven books. However, I didn't actually have an ending in mind, and new ideas have popped up since then. Um, <clears throat> so okay. I have no idea. There's also been things, though, that I decided to remove altogether. So... Yeah, we'll see. I have no idea. Uh, one thing is, though, with this book, um, I decided that I'm not immediately going to start writing the next one in the series. Um, I'm going to take a little bit of time to uh, really focus on the four that are completed and, you know, maybe finally seek publication. <laughs> um, that was going to be my I mean, next question. <laughs> there's no maybe about it. That's my next goal is to finally start reaching out to agents and publishing companies because I really do want to go the traditional route. I don't want to do self-publishing. Um, so that's my next step. And whenever I'm feeling the urge to write, there's a bunch of little short stories that I want to uh, want to do that involve the series, but they're just little one-off situations that really don't fit well into the overall narrative. Mm. But I still want to get them out there because they're, they're basically character-driven sub subplots um, nice. and so i think that would be a lot of fun to do no that's cool no i mean because like you're way farther than i ever am who always just comes up with story ideas and never writes them so you know <laughs> i mean that was me for a long long time and then one day i just decided to start putting the words down and well here i am um that was the end of 2017 that I started doing that. So three and a half years later, I've cranked out four novels that are all 150,000 words or more. So, um, yeah, it, it, it was such a daunting thing at first, but I am so glad that I finally started doing it. And fingers crossed that, you know, I finally get it picked up and... I, I'm not doing it for the money, but I would love it if it got somewhat popular just so that people were reading my story that I've poured so much of my life into because that's the thing. I'm not writing it down for myself. I'm writing it partially for myself, but also because I just want to share my imaginary friends with the world. <laughs> no, that's really, that's really cool. And, and yeah, I mean, here it's hoping that you, you know, you get something, you know, going there and yeah, just let us know when you're, you know, when that happens. Mm-hmm. And then we'll do a podcast about my series. <laughs> <laughs> when it gets this big Netflix deal or something. Yeah. Like that. Oh, yes, your Netflix yeah. deal, yes. <laughs> You're casting. You yeah, I, I love that. It's like, it's like uh, you know, I'm going to work on getting it published, but, you know, I'm going to have a Netflix deal, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, oh, Nathan, you, you don't have a Netflix deal, Nathan? Right, yeah, well, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm still waiting for the phone call, Ryan, by some big firm in New York telling me they're going to pay me to do the podcast, like, in once upon a time. <laughs> I mean, well, I, you know, that, that you have an IMDb maybe, page now. What more yeah. do you want? 
that that whole thing if he does one episode and he's called by some company in new york and it's like hey we really want to like you know finance your podcast come to new york and do it you know and we'll pay you like you know so many thousand a year and i'm like that is not how this works (laughs) (laughs) made me angry that's that's exactly how it works for everybody but me (laughs) well if it makes you feel any better my other podcast hasn't gotten that call yet either (laughs) oh that does it does it does make me feel better thank you (laughs) maybe they're just all looking for landlines you ever think about that none of us have them anymore i have a landline okay have you gotten that call no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Stephanie, it's good to have you back on the show. Of course. Happy to be back. All right. And finally, that other voice that you've heard, he is somebody making his debut on the 42 Cast, but he's been uh, part of the Earth Station One Network family for quite a while. That's how we met and connected on Facebook. And that is Keith Johnson. Welcome to the 42 Cast, Keith. Hey, thanks a lot, guys. I really appreciate you inviting me to be a member of the conversation tonight. Looking forward to it. Yeah, no, it's great to have you on. And uh, Keith, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay, um, let's see. I was born in... Okay, we don't want to go that far back. (laughs) (laughs) I'm uh, curious. Where where were you (laughs) born? Quite long. (laughs) (laughs) Well, real quickly, I live in Atlanta, Georgia, originally from Fort Worth, Texas. That's uh, I'm a I'm a Texan through and through. Been living in Georgia for over 20 years, but still consider myself a Texan. And I've been like I just about everybody I've been on this cast and listening. I've been a lifelong science fiction, fantasy, comic book, cartoon fan. I some people have asked me um, when did you first get into say science fiction or Star Trek, and I honestly don't remember. I just I have two older brothers who are science fiction fans, and I just was always watching Star Trek. I don't remember the first time I ever saw the series. I don't remember the first time I ever watched any science fiction. I had a father who wasn't quote unquote into it, but he would let us watch a lot of stuff they probably shouldn't have. I know when I was four (laughs) years old, my dad took us to see a showing of Night of the Living Dead Mm. at the theater. (laughs) I tell people that now and they get really horrified. They go, you were how old? I was four. Your dad took you to see Night of the Living Dead? Yeah. Did it bother you? No. Maybe I was too young, but... I really got, I've been into science fiction fantasy like most people for a very long time. I've been watching everything that I can think of, cartoons and so forth, and have been really kind of excited about the new Star Trek. I'm not a big fan of the Abrams verse, personally. I like it. I don't love it for a whole bunch of reasons, but I've been more excited by things such as Discovery, Picard. I think Lower Decks may be my biggest surprise so far in terms of the new Star Trek stuff and how much I really liked it. It's, okay, it's been cool. a really good thing. Yeah, you're actually in good company here because Stephanie and I are both uh, also people who don't remember the first time we watched Star Trek because we've been watching it since pretty much as far back as we can remember, you know, kind of thing. So, I mean, it's, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah um, I'm really old school. I grew up on the original Star Trek, Lost in Space original series, mm. Land of the Giants, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, a series called The Invaders. I think some people remember um, about a guy who knew the aliens were invading Earth and nobody would believe him. Um, if, you've ever, if you've ever seen it, look it up. UFO, Space 1999. That's kind of my background in science fiction. 
Nice. Yeah. 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 For me, it was original Star Trek too. growing up. Mm-hmm. I do remember a time before next gen, but yeah, original series. <laughs> investigation. Um, you know, I, that, that was, but yeah, fairly early on in my life, next gen came out, but I actually remember that. So that's like the thing. It's like, I don't remember when I first started watching original track. That's just like something that was always part of my life, you know, as right. far as yeah, I'm concerned. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so what is your primary fandom, Dave? Gosh, this is gonna be the most boring answer on the planet, but it's absolutely Star Trek. It yeah. was yeah, it was the first science fiction I saw. I think you know, people sometimes talk about you know, what world would you want to live in? And the world of Lord of the Rings with magic is is cool. And the world of Star Wars with the combination of what some people almost call magic and technology, almost super technology, that's really cool. But I think as corny as it may sound, I think because Roddenberry was really trying to look at a vision for where he really thought humanity could go. I like the world of Star Trek because it does show the possibilities of what we can be as a people. And it doesn't seem so far flung that I'm thinking I will never get there. And as cool as worlds like Lord of the Rings and stuff is, I still like have regular bathrooms. And I'm not all into thinking. <laughs> I'm not thinking. About, I'm not trying to get rid of technology. I work in technology, but mm-hmm. I absolutely appreciate nature and so forth. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to live in a world where there's no bathrooms, even no matter how much magic there is. So I think. <laughs> To me, Star Trek is really the best of all possible worlds and futures for humanity. Exposure should be a choice, not a requirement. Right. Well, <laughs> 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 no, it's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but uh, yeah, no, again, you're in good company here because we all really love Star <laughs> Trek. You know, I mean, it's yeah. uh, it's it's why I'm it's why I'm doing this series of just talking about all things Star Trek, you know, and just kind of working it into the show. So, um, right. you know, yeah, because yeah, Star Trek. Even though I probably wouldn't call it my my biggest fandom now, it has been mm-hmm. the, my longest running fandom because it's the one that extends back before I even remember. So, uh, it's always Absolutely. been part of my life. Most definitely, yeah. I always say Star Trek is in my blood. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's good to have you on the show, Keith. Thanks. Good. Great being here, guys. All right. And so normally we'd have a five-minute controversy here, but uh, timing-wise and for some other reasons, um, we're not going to do that this week. So uh, we're just going to uh, pause now for a promo from another fine podcast, and then we'll be talking about Star Trek Discovery. Star Trek is a vision. Great storytelling. My favorite TV show of all time. And it's so much fun. Join our crew aboard Earth Station Trek for your regular podcast escape into the Trekverse. Make it so. Let's see what's out there. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought we all agreed to say make it so. No, let's go, it's fun. But make it so is iconic. It's classic. It's too iconic. So we're all going to do make it so? No. (laughs) Welcome to Dr. Geek's Laboratory. Dr. Geek here with another reminder that the ESO Network is pro-science and pro-vaccine. We urge you to be a superhero and protect yourself, your family, and your fellow geeks around the world. Don't be fooled by the forces of evil and their anti-science misinformation campaign. Consult the latest CDC guidelines, your doctor, and get the COVID vaccine today.
and we're back. And so, like we said at the beginning of the show, we are talking about Star Trek Discovery Season 3. And um, both Ryan and Stephanie have talked about Star Trek Discovery before. But Keith, since this is your first time on the show and we haven't heard your thoughts about Discovery in general. So, you know, don't, you know, don't worry about Season 3 right now, but just going into Seasons 1 and 2 now. And, and I'm, I apologize if I get this wrong, but I seem to recall reading on uh, something that you posted. Did you just recently watch Discovery for the first time? That is correct. I was behind when Discovery first premiered. I watched probably the first three episodes mm. and then I just fell off. And it wasn't because I didn't like it or anything like that. It was just one of those things where you kind of fall behind mm-hmm. and I just never caught back up. And then the second season caught up on me. And I have a real big problem where I don't binge watch very well. I'm, I'm just so old school in some ways in how I watch. I don't like to watch a lot of episodes of anything, say in the same weekend or anything like that. And so I would, when I watch something, I mean, sometimes maybe watch two episodes in a day. And then I still sometimes like to take a few days to think about it, old school. And then I tend to keep getting caught up in other stuff. For example, I'm just finishing a Voyager rewatch and I'm finishing finishing a DS9 rewatch and I'm finishing an Enterprise rewatch. And then I started watching some old episodes of Stargate that I'd never mm-hmm. seen. And, and I'll just get caught up in stuff like that. And then there's a lot of cartoons, like this really great cartoon on Netflix called Blood of Zeus that I got into that I was really watching. So yeah, I just got back into Discovery in December and I watched, pre- I watched the entire series from first episode to the ending of season three in just the last couple of months. Okay, so, so for you, it's probably not as like, you know, separated in your mind, like season one, season two, season three, because you watched it kind of like in one continual binge. Well, you know, it's funny you say that. I watched, um, I watched each season twice. Mm. Uh, but to your point, it's funny because with all the other Star Treks, I mean, I'm one of those people who because who can sometimes irritate people where if I can't identify an episode of the original series in, in like 10 seconds, I'm mad at myself. <laughs> <laughs> can you name this episode in 10 seconds? <laughs> Show yeah. <the> clip. <laughs> yeah. So if I hear Kirk's log or I see the planet or something like that, I go, Oh, I know, I know what that is. And I don't have that yet with discovery to your mm. point. For example, I don't have episode names memorized like I do with, all, with most of the other series. So I'm still processing in a lot of ways. Okay. All right, so just uh, just just like initial impressions of Discovery. Then let's not get it into like season one, two, three mm-hmm. kind of thing. But just like, what were your initial impressions of Discovery? My initial thoughts about Discovery, um, and again, to do a quick backtrack, this not even to get close to sidetrack. I am not a huge fan of the Abrams verse or the Kelvin's verse for a lot of reasons. Um, I like it. I enjoy the science fiction. There's issues about it I don't like. And I remember when I first went to Discovery, knowing some of the people behind the scenes, you know, some of the people from the, the Star Trek movies that took place mm-hmm. in the alternate universe, I was a little suspicious of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a little suspicious of a focus on a little bit too much action, a little bit too much focus on the, the special effects, which sounds weird. You're talking about a science fiction series. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, you want great science special effects, but I grew up on the original series. So you know, special <laughs> effects don't mean that much to me, honestly. <laughs> I like them, but they do not define my enjoyment of a movie at all. Mm-hmm. So I was a little suspicious of it at first. I was a wary. And I, I liked it more than I thought. I, 
still struggled with, and I still struggle with the Klingons. Mm-hmm. I just don't get it. I don't get what they did with the Klingons. I don't even understand why we have yet another version of the Klingons. I'm still not sure. I understand what the deal is with Michael Burnham, you know, her first actions with you know, the whole thing that got her court-martialed. Uh, I still struggle a little bit with the reason. I don't see anything that justifies what she did. So, <clears throat> excuse me, I had a little bit of a problem with that. Mm-hmm. But I will say that, and I have a huge problem with the spore drive. That was a big issue of mine. <laughs> a huge problem with the spore drive. And so <clears throat> I think it was both more, uh, it was both what I expected in some ways. There were certain aspects, such as the whole look of the Klingons and the whole court martial and mutiny of Michael Burnham and the very essence of the spore drive that remind me of some of the things that Kurtzman and Orsi did, Orsi did with the new Star Trek movies that I feel is just a little bit over the top. They kind of remind me of Khan teleporting from Earth to the Klingon homeworld in <clears throat> Star Trek Beyond. But I also was pleasantly surprised. The first season probably didn't do as much quote unquote Star Trek until the very last episode where Burnham starts babbling about we're the Federation. This is like who we are. Mm-hmm. But it was much more measured than I expected. And I found myself liking the characters, which I think is always the first thing. Mm-hmm. I really like the characters. I, like I said, still can't get past the Klingons and the spore drive technology, but I liked a lot of the things they did with the ship design, which is always such a huge thing. As the folks behind Enterprise would tell you, how do you update a series without somehow without destroying what it looked like beforehand? You know, Enterprise had to say, how do we go 100 years before Kirk and make a ship look 100 years before Kirk? but look even more primitive than it would be nowadays. And Discovery, of course, had to do the same thing with 10 years before Kirk comes onto the scene. And I thought they did a good job with that. And so I ended up liking it. Um, I didn't love the first season because of some of the things, but I felt that it was well-written and it had really great characters. And as I went from season one to two to three, I started liking even more. So I can now say that I I really do enjoy the series. And one of the things I try very hard to do is not judge a Star Trek series by other series. Like, I don't ever want to be the guy to say, it's not like DLS or it's not like TNG. That's that's never been my issue. And that was not my issue with the Star Trek movies. It was my biggest issue with the alternate universe. And so I've actually really come to like Discovery and I look forward to seeing what else the crew is going to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, it's the funny thing. Cause like DS nine is my favorite track and it always just boggles my mind when people are like, but they're on a station. So they're not <laughs> yeah. going through space. And so it's right. not star Trek. And I'm just like, that is the dumbest argument for why yes. not to like something. <laughs> yeah. I'm the same way. I remember when DS nine came out, everybody was complaining about that. They said, but it's not going anywhere. And I thought, but you're not, you don't have to go anywhere. The point that Ronberry was saying was the journey was the human journey. It's not, right really the ship journeying per se Uh, it doesn't have to be so i agree with you about ds9 (laughs) 
<laughs> All right, but okay, no, so I think, yeah, and, and a lot of the things you brought up are things that we've talked about too, especially the look of the Klingons, which also remains one of the big things that, that annoys me, uh, you know, about the show, because it's like, it couldn't, they couldn't just call them anything else, like, it's the new Gregorians or whatever, and it's like, right. this is a new race, you know, that we're fighting that might have some similarities to Klingons, but aren't Klingons, you know, like, anything, but it's like, no, nah, we're just gonna redo the Klingons, you know, because you know, it's justified the change between original series and next gen because, right. you know, obviously people didn't, you know, culture had moved on and people were like, yeah, a bunch of guys in blackface, not a good look. Uh-huh, you know? exactly. But there, there was no need to change the next gen look of the Klingons. It was fine. So, yeah, anyway. Yeah, that, and that, and that's to your point, I always like to be very careful when I tell people, I'm not one of those stick in the mud people who can't change, but I agree with you. I just literally didn't see what the point was with the Klingon look. It just mm-hmm. didn't make any sense to me. Um, I read something years ago real quickly in the DC comic. I think it was called Who's Who in the DC Universe. Uh And it was the analogy of the official handbook of the Marvel Universe, if you've ever read those. And it was the best explanation I ever read. And they said, and that thing was that there were two species on the Klingon homeworld. Just like if Neanderthal had lived and Cro-Magnon, which is us, had lived, we could have two species on Earth. And that postulated that there were two species of Klingon, one that looked more like humans and one that looked more like Worf. And that periodically over the years, one group or the other would gain ascendancy. And so that would explain why, say, in Kirk's time, the more humanoid-looking Klingons would be the ones he'd see because that group, that faction had gained ascendancy on the planet. And then by the time of Picard, ones that looked like Worf had gained ascendancy, which is why they were more the people you saw of course, that all got shot out of the water when Kang and Kor right. and Kolok came back and they look like war. <laughs> but I thought that was a great theory other than that. I think we discussed that on one of the previous Discovery episodes. Yes, we did discuss that on one of the previous ones, yes. Yeah, but there's there's actually, um, yeah, I want to give into the whole, like, yeah, you know, species can have different looks and humans do. But I mean... Um, there's a, um, as far as the differentiation between species, there's in canon examples of this before discovery. I mean, just look at the Romulans and the Remans. They were originally the same species. Good point. Um, yeah. And then for that matter, the Romulans are doing it again. Um, this is a little bit of a tangent or whatever, but I was reading uh, that in Picard, they really emphasize it. Like uh, the nor- like Romulans that come from the Northern hemisphere of, uh, of um, Romulus versus the southern one have more distinct ridges on their foreheads. You know how you sometimes Romulans uh, have those ridges? It, that's how they're explaining that. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, okay. you know, they've, they've got in canon uh, established reasons for, for this. Okay. So the Klingons are just like the extreme, obviously. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, because I mean, yeah, in the original series, like Romulans didn't have ridges at all. And then it was like, yeah, next gen, you started seeing them more with ridges. And so, okay, they're just explaining it as a, as a regional thing. <laughs> Yeah, uh, okay. you know I'm hearing a you're hearing a Ruffles commercial when you say that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hearing to have ridges. Ruffles have ridges. Yeah. Ruffles have ridges. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about season three. Though it's kind of like a macro because this is one of the things you know we talked about quite a bit about how man it really stinks that Discovery is in the past because it creates all these continuity errors. It's too bad they just didn't set it in the future. And then at the end of season two, it was like, yes, they're moving into the future. So now they get rid of all the problems you know that they're creating. You know, continuity-wise, because you know everything can can you know go from there forward, and so that was sort of an interesting you know thing that we were looking forward to. So um, you know, we'll start with you this time, Stephanie. But what did you think of the whole sort of setup of the burn 
you know, and, and sort of the future world that we come to in, uh, in Discovery season three. Well, I just remember being so disappointed uh, at the end of season one that I didn't say on this podcast that I anticipated them falling out of, what was it, a wormhole or whatever, and where they ended up meeting with the Enterprise. I was I was totally thinking that season two was going to pick up in the future, and I was so disappointed that I didn't say that on the podcast because I know that I was saying it before season three dropped, and they were in the future. <laughs> Um, but what was the question again? <laughs> <laughs> so what did you think of the basic setup of our of oh, you know, season three? Yeah. The burn. Yeah. Um, I definitely like the season. I think the best of the past two, um, in true Star Trek fashion, it took a couple of seasons to really get going there. Uh, so anyone who says it's not a Trek clearly hasn't watched much Trek. Uh, but the burn, I have mixed emotions on. Um, I think it's a good premise for why we have people kind of separated from each other in a universe that has been so interconnected for a long time. Um, but I'm also not entirely, it, it, I'm not entirely sold on it being as uh, as they presented it. Um, it was a little more fantastic than most. I am just really flopping on this answer here. Um, it's a little more fantastic than I was anticipating. Um, I was hoping that there would have been a bit more of a a more sciency answer to it than the kind of fantasy answer that we got to it. Um, I don't know how much you want to go into the actual conclusion of the season just now. We're going to jump into it in just a second, but okay, I, th <laughs> okay. I think you and I are thinking exactly the same thing on this. How about you? You're Ryan? just hopefully more eloquent about it than <laughs> I am. Right now. My my brain, like I said, I finished writing a novel today. My brain has now gone into words. What are those? You don't <laughs> need words. <laughs> oh well, at least. At least, at least the the novel will get the good words. <laughs> right, podcast might suffer a little, and I might sound like an idiot tonight, and people will be like, "You right," <laughs> but yeah, I'll try. <laughs> Me word good. <laughs> Me word good. Me word a lot. <laughs> All right, what do you think about the setup for season three, Ryan? Well, I mean, um, I kind of feel like, uh, uh, honestly, like I would love to know how far back they decided, hey, we got to eventually send Discovery into like the far future, past mm -hmm. Picard, past everything we already know. I mean, I would love to know when they, like, has that been on in the plan since season one? Has that been what they've always been planning to do? Or is this like, at, finally, they just got fed up with all the internet outrage um, <laughs> in season two. They're like, screw it. We're out of here. We're just going to take our toys and go to the, you know, 31st I, I century. Strong, I strongly suspect it's door number two. Yeah, I, I kind of think so too. Yeah. <laughs> but um, as far as the actual premise, of, yeah, I think we're going to all be in agreement uh, about the explanation, about the conclusion. But I liked the premise of the burn. I, I felt like it um, kind of uh, what every successive 
series of Star Trek kind of does is makes the universe bigger, or at least the galaxy bigger. Um, you know, we learn more quadrants by each quadrant. Like by the time Voyager was done, we pretty much had a good map of the entire freaking um, galaxy. Um, so I felt like the burn was a good way to take it into the future, but also make it claustrophobic to make it smaller again at the same time. And so we got to revisit all these other, like the, like the, um, um, Orions, we got to visit familiar faces, familiar, uh, uh, societies, but with a twist. And it just, I, I thought it was actually in this, in this, it worked and it worked because of the spore drive. Yeah. We all had problems with the spore drive originally, but this, this concept worked because now we have a ship that doesn't need dilithium crystals to get around and ta-da, here's the spore drive. And so I actually thought going into it, I thought this is pretty clever. We can do a lot with this. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the thing that I had a problem with was apparently that they can just like create dilithium on the ship. And I was like, wait a minute, why are there dilithium mines and everything? And they're just like pulling dilithium out of this huge rack of like things, you know, and I'm just, I just like, assumed that was their storage. I didn't think they were creating it. I didn't. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought too. That was just storage. Yeah. They said something about being able to replicate dilithium. And I was like, wait a minute, if you can replicate yeah, it, like the know. whole like Star Trek franchise like falls apart. But oh, well. <laughs> I'm not saying you're wrong but i don't remember that yeah I, beth and I, I we had like a whole conversation about it after they said it like and it became like a thing where i was just like something is like really messed up here but wait was yeah. it they were replicating it on discovery or the future was able to replicate it they, they were replicating it on discovery i don't remember that yeah. at all no i just took that as storage yeah, that they were yeah. pulling some out yeah but even then like it's like the enterprise has one little thing with like dilithium, when it cracks, it's like crap. We got to go somewhere to get more dilithium. It's like discovery as <laughs> this ginormous rack. And I'm like, what? That's because the Enterprise was on a five-year mission. Or it's because Discovery uses a support drive. They never have to use their dilithium. Right. You know? <laughs> they still take it from Starfleet, yeah. just in case. Exactly. It's, it's like you know, it's like how you're getting all those podcast checks that you don't bother cashing. <laughs> 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 push my buttons it's fine it's fine all right so, but yeah yeah um but yeah anything more that you had to say ryan i mean about the burn concept yeah. uh no i mean okay. I, I actually have a lot more saved about it but we're gonna get there Ooh, right, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> all right so keith uh thoughts on the burn you know and sort of like the the overall uh you know like the situation of of the future I think Stephanie said it perfectly, which is it is such a weird thing when you're a science fiction fan to tread that line between suspension of disbelief and where you start attacking the science in a show. Mm -hmm. And I agree. I felt the same way as Stephanie, which is, you know, we accept a world in which you can travel fast and in light and generate artificial gravity and all this. I had the burn actually doesn't bother me as much as the spore drive, but I do think that the, the, the reasoning behind the burn, it kind of doesn't make sense to me because it's kind of like this kid cries and all the dilithium on the planet happens to resonate at this frequency and blah, blah, blah. And then there was this whole thing about dilithium has a subspace component. And it just, it was, it was asking me to buy too much. For example, if it had hit in, a, in, a, in an area close to the planet, that maybe would have made a little bit more sense to me. Kind of like I forget the name of the episode, but remember the the um, 
TNG episode where the brother and sister determined that traveling past warp five was yeah. destroying space. <laughs> I was going to bring that Remember up. Yeah. It. I, know, right? <laughs> I bring it up constantly and they just forgot about this. <laughs> yeah. And I think like threshold, they kind of like said, can we forget we ever did that? episode?" <laughs> but I, I was like, Stephanie, I was like, okay, if you want to say that the burn did something kind of sort of in one area, I just had a hard time in you using the in universe science kind of believing that the effects of the burn would generate from the planet, but not destroy the planet that generated it right. and travel pretty much through known space. Now, one of the questions we'll find out in the upcoming series, uh, the upcoming season is, is that infinite? Like did the burn travel across the entire Milky Way galaxy? Um, and so I had a little bit of a trouble believing that that, that wave was instantaneous because it's faster than even anything we've ever seen in subspace. So I had a little bit of I had a little bit of a problem with the explanation of the burn. But no, you brought up something that I had a problem with though, is that oh, this planet is chock full of dilithium. And I'm like, what? Why did the planet blow up? You know? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. And it 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 basically rendered well, you know, then they came up with the excuse that if the ship was in warp actively using the dilithium, that's why. So if your dilithium was powered down, it was okay. You know, I'm even having problems with that. Okay. And then um, one thing that I've always noticed in science fiction shows, it kind of makes sense. If you look at science fiction shows like Babylon 5 or Star Trek, it's always a weird thing to me. In most of those universes, most of the species use one method of travel for fast and light. Mm -hmm. In the Babylon 5 world, they pretty much open jump gates and they go into hyperdrive, but they don't warp space the way they do in Star Trek. In Star Trek, most of the species use warp drive, although you have some that open up wormholes and stuff like the Sephirians. And one of the things that kind of bothered me as well is it it brought up a point that I've always kind of had or an issue I've always had with Star Trek, which is, is dilithium the only way to go? Is that yeah. literally the only thing that everybody has? I would think there are races out there that have found ways to do warp or wormholes that don't use dilithium. Maybe they will show us races that don't. I know the Klingons, the Romulans, and the... Well, that's why in the future they did have some transwarp conduits. They were just like certain ones, though, and that's why it's like you could hop a jump from here to here, but it's not like you could go anywhere in space, and that's why people had problems of like you had to route through certain destinations to get to certain places and yeah. stuff. And so they did have one other method. They did have the transwarp conduits. And was the thing with the transwarp conduits that they were literally so cluttered with destroyed ships that you couldn't navigate them safely? I think they said that at least for some of them that that was the problem. But I think the other problem was that they only connected two distinct. But it's not like when you're in warp and you can just choose any direction to travel in at warp. You know, with the conduit, you could only go between this yeah. conduit leads from here to here. And then once you're there, if there isn't another conduit going to another place, it's like, well, you're still stuck between those two points, right? So you know, it's, it's like, a bridge. Yeah. Right. It's a bridge, right? Yeah. So I I kind of I kind of look a little bit askance at the at the the, the the explanation of the burn. And I look a little askance only because this just hit on a thing that's always been one of my kind of science fiction pet peeves, which is way too many people in, the, in a universe use the exact same type of technology. Right. But again, it doesn't bother me as much as the spore drive. And I think as they go forward, if they maybe like they find other races that are fine because they never use the lithium. Or if you have other people who do like the, remember the Sapphirians in the episode, the nth degree with Barkley, mm -hmm. they literally use the enterprise engines to just create a wormhole. They, they truly folded space. 
maybe they'll find some other races out there that weren't as affected by the burn. So it opens up possibilities. Yeah, I, 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 you, you touched on something that was one of my problems. I had a problem when we jumped a thousand years in the future and everyone is still using warp drives powered by dilithium just as a concept. Because I'm like, exactly. it's like sort of ignores the idea that there's been a thousand years of technical development. And like right. even in next gen, they were experimenting <laughs> with like other forms, like even though they were still using warp drive in next gen, they were like experimenting with other ways of traveling. And it feels like in, in another 900 years past next gen, they should have figured something out. Right. Yeah, I you, have an answer to this. Okay. <laughs> oh, let's hear this. Right. Well, no, I mean, I just, cause you know, I had the same question. We all had the same question. So yeah. I ended, I did like, you know, the, the quote, the, yeah, I'm doing, air quotes, uh, research on it, by which okay. you know, I quickly Googled it, <laughs> right. read some stuff on um, memory alpha. But basically, dilithium crystals aren't the power source. They're, they focus the power. Right. So, yeah. So, I mean, like, for instance, the Romulans use, like, uh, some sort of, um, like, singularity, singularity. drive. An artificial uh, yeah. singularity. Yeah. Artificial right. singularity. Exactly. And so, but like, so it's, it's kind of like saying... I mean, in 900, you, you can think about it like uh, telescopes. Uh, we've gotten they've gotten way freaking better over the past 900 years, but the science is still the same. You still need mirrors and lenses and glass and so forth. Uh, you still but need that's, that. But see, that's not true, Ryan, because nowadays we have radio telescopes and other ways of looking at things from yeah. far off. So, I mean, we have come up with new technology that those, allows us to but those be aren't visually far based. away. Right, uh -huh. well, but it's still. But what I'm saying is there are different methods of doing the thing, you know, the observing the universe from far away. And it's like, if I hopped a thousand years in the future and people were still using internal combustion engines, it would still be the same issue of it's like, you know, what, you know, like we haven't come up with anything, you know, better than this. I don't know. That's I, a good I, point. That's a good point. Cause for, for, to, to get to jump. Cause really it's a paradigm shift more than just an improvement of the existing technology. Like yeah. there've been no paradigm shifts in a thousand years. We're still looking at the problem the same way. Exactly. Cause it, cause the, cause the jump just to look for just a second to jump really deeply into what Ryan was saying. Right. The whole point is you use matter, antimatter to generate this energy um, and supposedly when you, you, you literally tune dilithium crystals, almost like a radio, mm -hmm. and when you tune them, you can actually have antimatter go into the dilithium crystals without blowing up, which is illogical, but it does. And then when the <laughs> matter antimatter anti eliminate each other inside the crystals, they generate pure energy, which is the plasma. And then the, the dilithium allows you to, to mix the matter and the antimatter in the crystal and then it generates the, the warp plasma you always hear about. And then that warp plasma, plasma passes through that metal that's in the nacelles that generates the warp field. And the dilithium allows you to tune the frequency of the, flat, the plasma. And when that plasma travels through the metal, it generates the warp field. So like uh, Ryan is saying, the, the dilithium crystals aren't the source of the power, but they tune the power. But I actually agree with you, Nathan. It just seems like even dilithium should not be the only source of doing that. Well, I, I mean, they features. already said in Next Gen that Romulan ships have no dilithium on them. So again, it's one of those things of why isn't everybody going to the Romulan method then? You know, and and, yeah. uh, or, and have the Romulans just stopped using that and have they all gone to dilithium? I don't know. There, there were problems with that, but Right. But I didn't want to focus on that. I just want to say that it was one of those things that niggled at me during the whole season. Because Same here. it seemed like I was like, oh, okay. But I was like, but I was okay with it because of where it got us from a plot standpoint. Because I liked this idea of discovery coming to the future. And this is like sort of the idea that I've kind of espoused in our episode talking about season two was I like this idea of the discovery going to a future where the Federation has collapsed. 
Yeah. Now, I didn't imagine it being because of some artificial thing happening, like the burn. I just thought it was going to end up being like, you know, because we've seen corruption in the Federation before, right. you know, throughout the, you know, next gen DS9, et cetera. I just assumed that after a thousand years, then, yeah, I mean, maybe it will just get to the point where the Federation became corrupt enough that it just collapsed. The member worlds decided to go their own way and everything. But it's like, okay, they decided instead it was this dilithium thing. It isolated worlds. And so then they just, you know, kind of went their own way, you know, anyway. And I was like, so it's still creates this idea of discovery being this this thing that remembers the federation the way it used to be all their crew remembers the way and they're now living in this world or this universe where everything is sort of descended into anarchy and i liked that idea i thought that that was a really cool place to go with the series and i really wanted to see that and so it was kind of exciting like going to earth and they're like what earth isn't like you know the federation anymore you know like all that kind of stuff like they drew it out a little too much i felt but at the same time i kind of like that idea of like yeah all of this stuff's been abandoned and this is and there's like a few people like when they go to that one guy when Burnham meets that one guy who's just been sitting at his station like his whole life oh, that made me cry they're waiting like, for, for generations yeah for generations just waiting for the signal i was like yeah that's see that's fascinating again like this idea that there are people who like view the federation almost like a religion now it's like this thing they want it they want it to happen but because of what's happened that's it you know it doesn't exist anymore i was like this is really cool and even when they found out that okay there are still a few like there's starfleet and there's like a few worlds still that are holding on i was like okay that's fine you know like that's fine too because it's so weakened Yes. That is still interesting, but it gives Discovery a base, right? A place to go. That guy you mentioned, I think that I think you agree. That was so funny because he had such a limited appearance in the show, but he is mm-hmm. so emotionally resonant. I still think about him. Oh, like me you too. Said, yeah, we, he was just sitting there just waiting. That that was really heart-wrenching. And then in the end, toward the end when he was brought back, mm-hmm. man, wow. He had that a real guy. commission now. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. He he is us. He is right. every yes. fan of Star Trek who wants to believe the Federation is possible, who wants to believe, you know, because let's be honest, like we've all said, this is one of our favorite fandoms, if not our mm-hmm. favorite fandom. Mm-hmm. It is a quasi-religion for all of us. <laughs> and so that is us. You know? That's a fair point. Uh, and, and yes. you know, I like the idea that the Orions are so powerful now. It's like, yeah, the criminal enterprise is taking huge advantage of this. It's like, okay, yeah, this is all really neat. And then I felt really let down by like the last three episodes because not only did i think the explanation i mean it's almost like you 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 laugh out loud you know like it's like what seriously it's just like some kelpian with magic like dilithium destroying powers okay but then (laughs) at the end it's like oh but this planet is so rich in dilithium and we're just gonna mine it and now we're gonna bring the federation back together and i just threw up my hands because i wanted seasons of this you know, like, I wanted this to be, like, something they had to do. Like, the whole idea of the Federation and the Orions, like, having to make a deal. I was like, man, that is, like, really, like, messed up. And I was like, you know, like, but but that only matters if it really they're, they're stuck in the same situation. If suddenly the Federation has access to a ton of dilithium, you don't have to make those moral, like, you know, questionable decisions anymore or anything like that. So sure I you do. They just change. Now the Federation has to decide who gets the dilithium. Well, I guess. I wanted and to see more of... now we get to the of... corrupt Federation. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to see more of, like, because remember the Andorian guy, I forget his name, but the Andorian guy was like, the Federation always, like, you know, wants something in return, something like that. I wanted to see, like, why he said that. Like, I wanted more of a basis for why you know, because it's not just the burn. It seemed like people had issues with how the Federation conducts themselves, and it felt like you know we never really got into that. And he said that he said that because up until this season of Discovery, 
Star Trek history has shown that admirals are nothing but corrupt assholes. And so we finally got a good one, you know? So that's that's the history of, Star, of uh, Starfleet, you know? I mean, you make a deal with a Starfleet admiral, you're going to probably get, you know, uh, the bad end of it. You know? Except for maybe Admiral Forrest. I think he was pretty cool. Well, I mean, there's the, the rare exception, but, you know, yeah. they're usually stuck on Earth, you know, the good ones. <laughs> admiral Kirk. <laughs> yeah, admiral Kirk did stay an admiral, you know? <laughs> Well, you know, right. that's the thing, Nathan, I think it's interesting because I'm to your point, I'm very curious about where they could go. And to your point, I hope they do go like my, my issue with everybody in the universe using the exact or our issues with the, everybody using the exact same method of faster than light travel. I really hope they say, hey, let's not assume everybody in the universe or the galaxy uses dilithium. I'd like to see some people who are still standing strong. To your point, when um, when he said that about the Federation, he made the Federation sound menacing. And I'm wondering, is there something more there that we may find out or is there not? I, I couldn't tell. You know, like you, I'm like, what does that mean? I really hope there is, because as much as I like that Admiral, there was something just a little skeevy about him. Yes. Well, that's and, what I thought at first, yeah. too. But then I was like, oh, they just wanted us to feel uncertain mm-hmm. about him until we had a few episodes. And I was like, no, he's actually a really good uh, guy. Well, we're, we're trained to believe the Admiral is bad because it's Star Trek. Yeah. I, I guess you have a point there. He, he's got that rank where yeah. it's just automatically, he's up to something. Check the back <laughs> of his neck. I mean, it's, it's, it's also <laughs> considering that. Oh my God, that would be the oh, most, that would be the greatest payoff ever. Yeah, oh, so, awesome. so like the little spider crab yeah. things are responsible for the burn oh, and it gosh. was a way for them to invade all these planets while they were isolated. See, I already wrote a better story than what they had. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. but you know it's 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 also worth considering i mean when the when the burn did happen the federation existed you know across the entire alpha quadrant just about and so the, it factioned and i'm sure there were lots of little federations and they would have all right. operated differently so i'm sure there's been some bad actors um and we might, we might see that we might see another admiral another starfleet you know that went in a different direction mm. so no that's, that's true the, i mean that's, that's perfectly possible also um but uh, yeah, and the other thing that I wanted to mention, though, is I do like the update to Discovery, um, where they all have like the hollow screens and stuff like that. <laughs> I, was, I, I was happy because I was like, this is going to be ridiculous if they let Discovery that even though it has this, you know, spore drive, if they operate and it's like, oh, yeah, they can take on ships in this time period and stuff. And like, just like but with all their outdated equipment on the ship. You know, I was gonna, I was gonna have problems, but I'm glad that they got the update, and I'm, and I did like the visuals of the update. I also. find the wireless cells absolutely ridiculous, though. Agreed. Mixed they're feelings, really, but it's weird. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they're very, very, very cool. But I keep thinking, man, and especially because they said they're literally only connected by magnetic fields. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, oh boy, there's a weak point. Yeah, yeah super weak point. Uh, or, or maybe it's a structural thing. I'm thinking about it. in battle. Now, you know, if they're, if if that little tiny piece which connected them structurally is destroyed, you're without a nacelle. So maybe this way you can reestablish it. Um, yeah, good point. It's like detaching your saucer section. Yeah. <laughs> that worked so it. well that we did it for a whole season and then never again. <laughs> <laughs> well, if they had Discovery's budget, Nathan. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, no, the other thing, though, I, I should mention, though, another thing that I like you know what you guys' impression on this i i like the episode where we have burnham you know she first goes into the future she meets book and 
to, to show that like some things have changed that there is so we have that whole fight that she has in that sort of like bazaar or whatever you know that selling place and it's like all of a sudden it's like you know like huge like like explosions from this little gun and then there's like the personal teleporters and everything and i loved all that i loved all like the stuff where they're like this is the stuff we'll allow them to have that's like super futuristic and it's like they're beaming all over the planet and so yeah i like that they did create some things that they were like this is the show we've moved forward is we're going to have like all of this kind of stuff. I, I think I, I agree with you. And I think this season is where I never disliked um, Burnham's character, but I think the third season was, I, I really felt she was coming into her own because I was always having some questions about her and she was, she was the lead, but in some ways she didn't seem as central to the show, even though she was central to the show. But in the third season, I, I liked her more. I liked the, the stuff it took her through. Uh, I know I, I read some stuff online with some people were hoping that she was on her own even longer than they said she was in terms of, you know, character development, because at the end she was questioning that. I think it was only a year, right? But she was saying yeah. it was, she, she basically said some stuff like I've done some things, you know, she was almost like, I don't even know if I'm in Federation anymore because of what I've done. And I don't know you can do a whole heck of a lot in a year, but I'd read some stuff where people said they should have made it like a five year gap between her appearing and discovery finally showing up in that time i mean if you said that in 2019 i'd agreed with you but like 2020 all right all right all right before you know, we move on before- i was really about to say something about how i just thought it should have been longer because of her reaction to seeing everybody again yeah. but then you wanted to mention that 2020 thing and yeah, when I see a few of my friends again for the first time in, yeah. in a literal year uh, and then some, I'm probably going to like bring back glomping and all that <laughs> when I'm reading them. All right, but really quick before we move on, uh, I just want to make sure because we we did sort of like hesitantly talk about the setup, and it's like so. Stephanie, did you have anything more you wanted to say about about magical kelpians or anything? No, just that was magical kelpians i'm just gonna go with that magical kelpians okay and ryan uh two words quantum entanglement i, no. I don't know <laughs> <laughs> if we no. say a scientific concept with enough conviction it can mean anything <laughs> exactly i mean of course I'm, I'm really disappointed in the fact that all they had to do is reverse the polarity and none of this would have happened <laughs> <laughs> no. but i mean oh, the, the the magical kelpian is just indicative of what I feel is kind of um, Discovery's problem as a whole. They, the, season one, season two, season three, these great setups, these great build-ups, and then they never stick the landing at the end. Agreed. Yep. They Agreed. get great premises that just fall a little flat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we're just going to put a bomb in the heart of Kronos. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> oh, yeah. See, season one was able to mask it because at the same time they were doing that, that stuff that plot-wise was kind of dumb, they were saying like, oh yeah, we're really a Star Trek series. So like, it kind of like shifted things in a way where it was kind of like, oh, we'll overlook that because I like this that's happening. But yeah, you're right. They haven't really stuck the landing. With I agree. Thing. You know, I probably... I probably colored myself by even mentioning that I'm not a fan of the Kelvin verse, but I think for what Ryan just said, and what you all are saying, I see the push and pull between the people who have the mindset of some of the aspects of the Kelvin verse. I don't like, 
versus those who are saying this is the original tracks. Because I agree. I think what you said about they don't stick the landing. I agree. I have a huge problem with what you said about the bomb on Kronos. I actually have a whole, I have a problem with the whole, the angel, the whole angel and her mom and the time ship. I do have some major problems with that red angel thing. Uh -huh. I have a problem with the burn, but to your point, then I kind of have to get past it and let the other good Star Trek stuff come forth. But I agree with you. I think in a lot of ways, they still make me roll my eyes a lot. Yeah. Well, the one thing is when they called it the burn, I immediately thought, oh, my God, if this is going to be something about Burnham, because the first you know, <laughs> letters of her name <laughs> are Burn, and it's like going to be like her mom got there first and did something bad, and like it caused the explosion in Dilithium, we're going to find out it's it's the Burnham, but then they just shortened it to Burn. I was, I was like, God, this is going to drive me insane. But it's like, no, they came up with something even worse than what I thought was the worst possibility. Yeah. So. At least it wasn't another never heard of sibling of Spock. <laughs> oh, <gosh>. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say that, Ryan. They it's might still do brother, that. You know? <laughs> no kidding. No kidding. <laughs> Cyborg 4. Yeah, I don't know. You know? <laughs> well, I'm still disappointed that we still haven't seen any reason, like, other than that she had a relationship with Sarek, that I really thought the idea of a human raised among Vulcans was so, like, such a crazy, great idea. Yeah. And, like, they've never had her act like that, though. And so I'm like, man, they just, like, you gave her this cool backstory and you're not other than the fact that she's an orphan like none of it has really like come up so. well i mean maybe just just shows that it can't take humans cannot be raised logically we're just yeah. too emotional <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's actually funny because to your point i thought in the first season and again i love some martin green but i thought in the first season the the way she was acting like a vulcan in a human body was kind of obvious a lot well, and, it, it was in that flashback when they showed me she first came on board the ship with uh, Giorgio. Then uh -huh. she feels like it seemed like she was trying to act more Vulcan-like, but like I didn't see that in any of the rest of what she was doing. Yeah, and I think that's one reason I like her better in the third season is because, to your, your guys' point, I think having Vulcan influence but being a human works better than trying to act like a human who wants to be a Vulcan. Yeah, I think... I think it works better now. I, I, I actually, because I remember I was watching a show one night with my wife and I said, one of the episodes, like, she's laughing. You know, she's just straight up laughing and smiling. And I like her better that way, I think, than this, this, this repressed Burnham. I, I think it works so much better. And I agree with you. I really don't know why she had to come from the house of Sarek. That just made no sense. I mean, I, I don't think you can be human raised among Vulcans. Well, not even really raised. She'd already spent, how old was she when she was? when Sarah uh, got her I, she was like we're already like 12 or something right yeah, was she yeah, yeah. Like that. I thought she was younger than that but how, however yeah. old she was but you know she'd already had a foundation as a human mm -hmm. and right. so she spent her teenage years among Vulcans and then she went back to 99% humans again so yeah she's gonna revert it's, it's gonna happen but um I, I I'm almost positive I mentioned it in previous podcast but like i got i mean i still think that just goes into my whole Sarek theory where he wants to unify earth and vulcan and so like he literally did the three things you can do he raised a human as a vulcan he raised a vulcan as a human and then he had a half human half vulcan i mean he's literally trying to see how it works best he married two human women yeah nope yeah no i mean I, he he almost overtly says that in one of the flashbacks in discovery 
I mean, it, it, it's, it's, I, I think you're right. I think that that's the thing is like, yeah, Sarek, Sarek was, was believing in some sort of unification of human and Vulcans, and then they decided to unify with the Romulans instead. So, you know, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> I guess it, I guess that really backfired. But yeah, that, that was Spock rebelling. Like, every right, time. exactly. Like, we're going to unify with humans. Screw you. We're going to unify with Romulus. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's talk about Burnham because, you know, we've, we brought her up and everything. And, um, you know, we had the Burnham's whole journey here of first, you know, being the arriving well before discovery and then sort of like, you know, her, her journey, you know, with discovery and would she stay with discovery and all of that. So let's start with you, Ryan. What do you think about Burnham this season? Um, I, I like, I mean, uh, like from beginning to end, I liked her. I, I kind of felt again before, um, you know, the year 2020, but I kind of felt the same way to contradict myself. Like it just seemed like she changed too much in too little uh, amount of time. And it just, it didn't feel right. I didn't buy the, how she was so jaded, if you will. Um, but uh, by the time the season was over, I was kind of all in on her with, with the possible exception of um, her inheriting uh, uh, the comp. I, I don't, I don't see, I still don't see her, there yet right but i had a problem with that ending too because me yeah. three and i'm wondering <laughs> if that means that um oh, what Saru? is his name doug jones i wonder Saru. if doug jones is leaving the city or the series because that's the only reason i can see why they would do that because if saru is back next season that is a huge slap in the face i mean yeah. I, I i don't see burnham being the guy and and and, and you know point good thing on her she was like mature enough to be able to tell him yeah, you don't want me to be your first officer. I am not there. I am not ready right. for it right now. And he was just like, no, nah, you're going to be the first officer. <laughs> just like, so good on her for that. But then at the end of the series, their season just being like, no, nah, Burnham's going to be the captain now. And it's just like, oh, okay. I mean, you know, I do think she made some hard decisions some that were actually right. Mm. Um, like uh, shooting, what's his name, Alpha Airlock to save, to keep um, the Orions from getting him. Um but uh, so I don't necessarily agree with her dis disagree with her decisions. I just feel like her personality was just a little too dark. But I think by the end, she pulled it back. Yeah, well, I mean, her thinking is more, well, I still have issues with like sort of the direction of the series of, uh, you know, like um, individualist thinking somehow serves the greater good, you know, <laughs> more often than not, which is a problem of action series in general. I get it. But Star Trek... <laughs> always tended to be more thoughtful than that in the past and yeah you might have occasional instances where that worked but not be like yes that's always the solution to everything is to be like you know like i'm gonna ignore everybody else and just go my own way kind of thing <laughs> you know i just i don't know i don't like that being like the sort of thing where it's like actually burnham that was the greatest thing is to be that kind of a person that's just like huh. isn't that baked into the dna wasn't that kirk in a nutshell that's 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 like pop culture Kirk. That wasn't real Kirk. Yeah. I mean, okay. Pop culture uh, Kirk take... is the Abram verse Kirk. The look before you <laughs> yeah. the leap before you look Kirk is not the way that Kirk <laughs> on the original series was. So yeah, how many times did Kirk that. break the Prime Directive? I don't know. I mean, but yeah, I'm sure he did a few times. 
Picard did it a lot too. Right. Janeway just threw it out the well, window. Well, yeah, Janeway was just like, what prime directive? But, Except for when it counted, then she wouldn't do it. Like, oh, we can get home in two days, but nah. Star- Starfleet isn't here in the Delta Quadrant, so the rules don't apply. <laughs> but yeah i mean so yeah I, I get the point you're trying to make ryan but i mean even but kirk kirk was even more thoughtful i think than the the what we're you know than what how burnham's been lately so you know more of a team player it's, it's the thing if you want to be the leader of people you can't be an individualist you have to be a team person yeah. because you are forming the team and so it's like you could be an interesting like agent or something like if starfleet wants to like you know have something you know akin to section 31 now or if there is still a section 31 or whatever you know maybe burnham would be a great agent for them but i'm not sure she's a great leader yeah you know i don't disagree with you i think maybe that's also part of a function of up until discovery star trek was primarily like an ensemble cast you know you Mm -hmm. had your your bridge crew and they were pretty much everything but with discovery honestly i mean we're in season three now and I, I I will see some of the bridge crews and I still don't know their names. <laughs> it's a real problem. Yeah. It's like one bridge crew. Yeah, and, and they're trying, bless them, they tried this season to get me to know them right. and I, I recognize them, but I'm like, what is your name? I don't know. Oh, I had to ask Tim who that one random chick was and she was the one who came over from the Enterprise and I'm like, I don't yeah. remember her. Yeah. yeah, well, it's like, it's funny because it's like the cyborg woman, like they made us like her in season two and then they were just like, oh, we'll kill her off now. <laughs> hey, Ryan, you were talking about their names. Look, you'd be like Pike. Remember, like, two minutes, he knew the name of every person on the bridge and recited it back? <laughs> well, you, that's why Pike's getting his own show, because he can do that. <laughs> I was like, I was like, dude, was he, I was like, I was like, is he doing one of those mnemonics like Ken Popcorn on Farmer Green stove or something? Because, boy, he got those names out fast. <laughs> yeah, I was worried that they were going to kill off the woman that's got, like, the, like, sort of metal, like, implants just sort of like wringing her face like just around like a few places and it's like but then it was like it was you know they kept like ominously like cutting to her and having issues and it was just like no nah, we're good okay what was the point of any of that <laughs> it's are like, you talking about the security the, the, the crew needs to watch movies that and now they're all good the the, the redhead the one who who pilot the pilot right yeah she's oh, been in yeah, all three oh. seasons yeah she's yeah. been in all three seasons yeah and i think again my personal opinion i think some of the things like that and some of the other stuff you're talking about i think that goes back to the Orsi Kurtzman type of people. And I think, the, and um, like, again, what Ryan's saying about sticking the landing, I think that goes back to they have a tendency to kind of do almost bombastic writing that almost gets away from them. And so far they keep reining it back in on the show. Cause I agree with you, Moni, like that one lady, like that one episode where she started laughing. Um, and like you said, I can't remember names, but she started laughing cause she was all laughing about people dying. And I thought, man, is this going to become a super major arc in the show? And I guess not. Yeah, I was afraid that that, um, oh God, what, what were we calling it? Basically the Skynet from season um, two. Uh, control. Yeah. yeah, Control. I thought Control maybe implanted itself in her before yeah. it was like thrown away. And I was like, oh God, like, me too. is she being taken over? Yeah, and, that's me too. Right. And, and I thought that's what was happening. But then it's like, no, nah, all the crew just needed to watch some movies in the rec room. And now they're all fine. <laughs> well, I mean, that's just it. Like the obvious one was, oh, it's control. And then right. my second thought was, well, maybe it's the um, 
the data on the enterprise integrating with her. And then, mm. no, it's not that because it's kind of weird, evil. So my third thought was, okay, it's just PTSD, but we can still explore that. That would still be right. interesting. Mm. No. <laughs> you know? no. Just about some movies. PTSD is over. Yeah, I agree. With you. I think I think that the PTSD, I, I agree. With you. I think a lot of the things is they they bring in, it's almost like they swing for the fences and, and then they, yeah. they kind of miss and then they go, okay, well, let's get back on let's get back on track. And so sometimes I do feel that they, they bring in some, some big plot lines, plot devices, and then they don't really handle them well. Uh, and it's, it's, yeah, it, it could almost fly apart, but they're, they're holding it together. I feel like that might also be a problem with the writing. Like they have a 22 episode season when they uh-huh. don't. Um, so I, I feel like, yeah, I agree. They're throwing everything at the wall and like, okay, we can, we can work with this. We can play with this, but they don't have enough time to really get beyond the the three or four main characters that uh, hog all the screen time. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. And so, Stephanie, what do you think about Burnham's arc this season? Um, no, I don't know. She was... <laughs> <laughs> Who? <laughs> I, I'm looking forward to her a lot more now that uh, Giorgio's gone. I love Giorgio, uh, but the connection with her and Burnham always was a little obnoxious to me. Yeah. Um, especially because for some reason, Giorgio looking at Burnham as the replacement for the Burnham that she knew wasn't quite as obnoxious to me than um, Burnham looking to Giorgio like that. I think it's probably because the Giorgio she knew wasn't a a tyrannical <laughs> killer awesome woman. Um <laughs> It's what you look like that matters, not what's inside. So you didn't buy the mother-daughter thing, Stephanie? I mean, I I did on the on Giorgio's part. I didn't mm. buy it with Burnham. Yeah, so like, like if I went to the mirror universe and my mother was the fascist empress of, you know, <laughs> an alternate universe, you know, it's like, would I just be like, oh, but she's my mom, you know, or would I be like, oh my God, this is horrifying over here. I, I, I you know, like, I, I get Stephanie's point. Like, you know, it's like, you know, because it's, it's actions that matter, right? It's like who you, you like, like, like what you do, you know, is what's important. So if you're a fascist dictator, you know, like, should you be like, oh, but you're just like, well, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I get Stephanie's point. But it's still, I agree. It's still a little, little bit different because, you know, Mirror Universe, Giorgio raised Burnham. Uh, Prime Universe, Burnham had a good boss for a couple of years. Right. I mean, yeah. that's, yeah. You know? The, the so level of what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. That's why it makes perfect sense for Giorgio to feel that way with Burnham, but with Burnham returning it so devotedly. Yeah. Well, but, it, but here's the thing, and here's what's interesting. They never say it, but Burnham also is carrying around a huge amount of guilt for Giorgio's death. And I yeah. think that that might also factor into it on her side is that she almost sees this as a potential, like, like if they're the same person in some way, then there is some aspect of Empress Giorgio that is like the other Giorgio and that maybe like that portion can be brought out more. So I, I don't know, but I'm just saying like, maybe it, it factors more into Burnham's guilt over being indirectly responsible. Almost like her second chance, as it were. Right. Like, like a second yeah. chance or something like that. Yeah. I mean, we do see that Giorgio does grow because of Burnham. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I'm not entirely certain if we can say that Burnham grows because of Giorgio. She becomes a little 
more reckless, but right. that's not usually considered growth. <laughs> yeah. um, well, I just love having Giorgio on the show so much, and, and I yeah, get that I think, she's not going to be on Discovery anymore, even though she's moving to the Section 31 show. But um, no, I definitely love Giorgio, though. Right. She was a great character, um, and I really hope that that Section 31 show actually happens and is... It, it takes advantage of the greatness that is Giorgio. Yeah. And, and I will say like, like for all the stupid science that they do, the whole, the concept for the explanation for Giorgio that, yeah, the universes were moving too far apart over time. That one actually rang true. That one I was like, okay, I can buy that. That makes a lot. Yeah, of sense. no, I was fine with that as a reason for why she couldn't stay. And I love the fact that they brought back the, um, the, the gate. Guardian. Thing, I don't remember the guardian. Yeah, the Guardian. Um, yeah, that that tickled me a little bit that they brought that back, and I loved the human portrayal they gave to it too. Um, I had to explain it to Tim because he's not as much of a Star Trek fan. He recognized it, but he wasn't sure what it was. Especially when I like totally geeked out when we saw the gate there, and I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> Like Giorgio, you're going back to the 1930s, and you can't like let Edith Keeler Keeler live. <laughs> now we go back and find out she was the one driving the car. <laughs> oh my god! Section 31 episode. Great. <laughs> but, you know, it's never. I mean, it's since been debunked, but there was like the running theory for a while that um, the mirror universe was the, that episode gone forward. Um, mm. If if uh, if hmm. McCoy had saved her, yeah. Hmm. yeah. Okay. So who knows? <laughs> yeah. Maybe go back to that. Yeah. Wait, that's been debunked. I've heard yeah. that story before, but never with the idea that it was officially declared. Well, because no. the history of the universe or the mirror universe being different from Earth goes back further than that. I think they. Oh maybe, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think maybe it's like the Enterprise episodes that established that. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. Yeah. Um. I don't know. I, it was cool in one sense. I did get goosebumps when I saw the Guardian of Forever, but at the same time, I felt like the way it was utilized was kind of eh, meh. I mean, to give Giorgio a way back to the past, it worked just fine. But this whole thing of like, you know, can you, uh, you know, like, like, are you worthy or whatever by having you relive portions of your life to see it, like, if if you make a different decision or whatever, it was just kind of, I don't know. I didn't really care for that so much. And uh, that's straight up Star Trek. <sighs> it is. <laughs> I'll be honest. I, I hated the guardian portrayal. <laughs> I, I, to me, a cigar chomping guy reading a newspaper, cracking wise, is the same Guardian from the original series. I just did not like that portrayal. I didn't like that weird personality they grafted onto the Guardian. Hey, a thousand I, years has gone by. Yeah, but, uh, I know. It just, it just did not work for me because, I don't know, has the Guardian been talking to humans for the last thousand years so that he adopted that weird personality? It was just, it was just so weird to me for... You go from the original series where he claimed that before Earth's sun even burned hot in space, he'd been awaiting a question. And then he goes to now he's like this dude with a bowler hat on, smoking a cigar and reading a newspaper. And it it, could just depend on who he appears to. I guess. But I'm like, I'm like Nathan. That that personality just didn't work. And then I'm like, why would Giorgio and Burnham want to see that? Well, see, that's the thing. They wouldn't want to see that. 
So they would be doing things to defy it. And I'll, I'll tell you, if he came to me looking like that, I'd probably go, I'd probably go, who is this? But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you want like a, a kind of stupid but possible explanation, the Guardian was kind of cold until Kirk and crew showed up. And then, hey, they exposed him to Earth. They exposed him to humanity. And then he spent the past, you know, 800, 900 years or whatever, just watching Earth since then, because literally the Earth, hum- humans and Earth have been inside of him. So, you know, he's kind of curious after that. You know? <laughs> wow. All right. So, yeah, my point was more of if you're going to make a reference to something, don't like change it so much because it's like, okay, so Georgia went back in time to her own universe and was able to do these other events, but then that should have changed history. Cause we already know that when the, you get sent back by the guardian, you change things when you're there, but it didn't change anything when she came back. Like her life still went the same way that it always, that it went before. So it's like, like even like the way time travel works with the guardian, everything didn't even seem to make any sense. Like, and so, I don't know, I just had, I was like, you could have called it anything else, and it didn't need to be the Guardian of Forever, and that was kind of more of my problem with it. Does she go back to her exact same timeline? Well, I mean, that was, that's what was said, was that she got to go back into her life, and, you know. That doesn't mean it was real. Yeah, that's how I took it, was that he was saying, yeah, you went back, but it was all in her head or something like that. So I was totally confused by that, too, because if he's the Guardian, um... It was weird because I'm like you. I thought, did he go back? This, first off, can he send them to alternate timelines? I couldn't really tell. But to your point, I thought, well, did he go back? Does she go back to her exact original timeline? And to your point, Nathan, if she did, she literally just changed the history of her universe. Or what did he send her back to an alternate timeline? Or did he send her to some pocket universe I, I i was a little confused by that as well well yeah i, I mean i guess I, I guess you're right i mean maybe he sent her to some other universe that you know she could that was very close to hers right um, so that she could do that so maybe that's the explanation i don't know but you know <laughs> I can tell certainly, you they, it certainly doesn't seem at all like what you know was in uh, city on the edge of forever and that was kind of my point right tonally and so forth, i don't disagree it definitely didn't feel like a uh, city of the edge of forever yeah um, and so it's just like, like, like when I watch an X-Men movie and somebody says like a character in a movie is, is this character from the comics, but like everything from the depiction of the character and to like the way they act and everything is completely different. I'm like, why did you just say that they're that character? You could have made them anything, but it's like, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's one of those things. It's a reference, but if you're going to change it, then why make a reference? Why not make it something original? You're talking about Juggernaut. Uh, no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm actually talking. Well, the first one that came to mind was Marrow from X3, but that's we're not going to go into that. But anyway, uh, which was a guy like in X3, even though it's a female character from the comics, but it's a whole other. Yeah. 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 Anyway, um, so uh, so yeah. Uh, all right, uh, Keith. Um, yeah, you already said a lot about Burnham, but did you have anything else that you wanted to mention about her character? Yeah, I think. I think. Uh, I think to the point is what you guys were saying and what Ryan was saying as well. I. I never, I didn't dislike her, but I always thought that Burnham with the Vulcan personality overlaid over her, it never quite worked for me. She was trying too hard, but at the same time, she was traumatized. Yeah, she was traumatized by the loss of her parents. Mm -hmm. And actually, so what you were saying, Nick, in a lot of ways, I'm always thinking they didn't really need to make her having been raised on Vulcan. She could have just been traumatized acting like that. And so... For some reason, I'm not sure why, I always could kind of sort of see 
Shaniqua Martin Green acting like someone who was raised on Vulcan. And I don't blame her, but it just for some reason never quite worked for me. Not quite. And so whatever the it goes back to what we've all been saying, some of the plot devices and some of the reasons they write and some of the excuses or the, the causes. I have trouble buying with the writers of the show sometimes. But when we get to the end, I'm like, okay, I'll just forget your excuse. I'll, I like what you did. Like, I don't, get, I don't like the burn, but to your point, I like them making a smaller federation. I don't really like the whole Angel storyline, but I think it was an incredibly bold move to move them to the, to the far future. And so I have some problems with Burnham being raised on Vulcan. I really have a problem with them shoehorning her into a Sarek Spock family. But... I like the Burnham that's emerging, which is a more complete human that was traumatized, no matter what the cause was. I like that fact that she's come through that fire, as it were, and she's on the other side. Now they're trying to say she's more in touch with her humanity or more in touch with her her instincts or intuition, things that Vulcans tell you not to have. And she's more in touch with maybe taking some chances, but still trying to be a Starfleet officer. So I like where she ended up. I just don't like the journey that they put her on to get there. Yeah, I think I think that there's a, I think that you're kind of right, because the thing that I'm thinking about, you know, Discovery is that I feel like they're better on the emotional resonance than they are on the actual plotting. Right. Absolutely. So somehow I managed to forget about a huge part of Burnham in this season that I absolutely loved, which was Booker. Mm-hmm. And and that beautiful fluffy queen. <laughs> <laughs> I kept expecting that cat to actually turn out to be something more than just a cat, and so far uh, we have no proof of that. Like Gary Seven's cat, right? Exactly. You know, <laughs> I could go either way. I just hope the cat remains. <laughs> yes, I hope. No, I hope the cat gets its own spinoff. Well, that's the thing. Like, like I like the fact. In the same way that I hated Archer's dog and thought it was silly that on their very first ship that they would take a dog with them, I love Thank that you. cat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think that, and again, because it's such a rangy, like nasty looking cat, but it's just so funny that like Book loves that cat so much. And yeah. It's just like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. One final thing about Burnham, like, I know some people, I, I, I really, really wish, I think that the year that she was away from the Discovery, I, I think they probably should have made that longer, but I would love to find out what happened during that year where she was so so traumatized, thinking she was no longer fit for the Federation. But I do have one question for y'all about Burnham. I've read a lot of stuff online, and I don't know if this is just people who straight out hate it. Um, I, I read a lot of stuff, very, very common, where people say, at least she's not crying now. What is that all about? Was I, I see that a lot. People being misogynistic jerks okay, who have I wonder. no hearts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember I her crying a whole lot in previous. I mean, she might have had a scene or something where she cried, but I don't remember it being a big feature. Yeah, I've seen that a lot. And um, and I wondered what that was about. because I, you know, I've watched the whole series twice now, and I didn't think that she was overly emotional. So I wonder if that's some of the people who just don't like the new Star Trek Discovery Direct series. It's just those people. There's a lot of people who haven't even seen it that, that hate it, that are just like, oh, uh-huh. it's so dumb just from things that they've heard. 
you know, right. too, that, that I absolutely, like, I'm not going to pay for CBS All Access, and I hate Discovery. And it's like, well, wait, if you haven't paid for CBS All <laughs> I mean, now that they've shown at least the first season on broadcast TV, maybe these people have seen, like, the first season. But, like, you know, for a long time, people were dissing on it, and they were like, but I'm the one who pays for CBS All So the only thing they could have seen is that original episode that they just showed the one episode, which was the first part of the first two-parter. And, yeah, that episode isn't the greatest, but that, you know, <laughs> you can't say you yeah, hate a show I, just from the first episode. I really Got didn't it. like the first two episodes myself, but mm-hmm. by the third episode, it took enough of a turn where it, it got substantially better. But yeah, no, all those people who rant on Burnham just crying all the time, they're just jerks who are hating on it to hate on it. Yeah. I do Ju- like Burnham. Judge um, any I- Judge any Star Trek by its first episode and you're going to hate them all. Yes, yeah. or even even its first season. T and G's first season, not the best. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, original it, series. I would argue because it had longer seasons. That doesn't really apply to original series. If you like original yeah. series, you're gonna like the yeah. first. Season. But yeah, I think all the other tracks. Yes, all the ones Absolutely. in the modern era. Yeah, the yeah, first agreed. seasons were not good. Yeah, agreed with that completely. Uh, I mean, I you know when when you, when you mentioned that, I'm th- I'm was trying to think about like did she cry a lot? And, and I really, I rack my brain. I do remember her crying a few times, but like, they were like deserved, you know, um, it was like really emotional. I mean, like I've, I've just caused a freaking war or, you know, uh, my brother's in prison. I mean, like they were legitimate. Like I would be bawling too in situations like that. So, yeah, did, yeah, did she cry too. when she found out her lover was really like a Klingon, like yeah, double yeah, agent? Yeah, like totally. that would be okay. You know, like, <laughs> Dude, I'd be crying too. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> he just murdered someone on the ship. Yeah, that's worth you know crying about a little bit. Exactly. I mean, you know. It's... <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah. So, um, so yeah. Since you brought him up, Stephanie, let's talk about Book because um, he's an addition to our cast. You know, he's the he's the new you know main character that we had. And so, um, Keith, why don't you talk about Book? What do you think about him? When I first saw Book, I immediately thought he was going to be a bad guy and stay a bad guy mm-hmm. because that actor has played bad guys a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, he was uh, Manchester Black in the Supergirl mm-hmm. series uh-huh. for a while. And if you go really far back, he was one of the henchmen for Joker in the Dark Knight movie. Huh. And so I especially I first kind of suspected him, but I actually and you know he's kind of a cliche character you know the rogue with the heart of gold that kind of thing Mm -hmm. the the charming rogue but i i like him and i think the reason i like him is back to the reason i like the changes in burnham is burnham has become a more fully fleshed out human being she's not a human trying to play a vulcan and i think to some people well they'll probably say what kind of starship captain is this who is you know got this boyfriend or whatever around and this area i like this bold step they're taking where they're bringing in a guy who's not a member of Starfleet, who's kind of a rogue, a little bit of probably a thief in some ways, who is going to be important to Burnham's life. I'm not sure if it's going to work out in the end, but I like him because I like the relationship that he and Burnham have. And I like the fact that he does make her laugh. And I like the fact that he is lighthearted in ways where they're kind of serious. And I like the fact that he can be the guy sometimes to go do the stuff that they can't do according to Starfleet rules. So, and he's a charming guy. 
And I think he can be that guy who can sometimes stand back and say, okay, look, I don't know what you Starfleet guys are talking about. Um, this is how I, it's got to be done. So in some ways, he's almost a cliche, but I, I find myself really liking him. And I thought it was really sweet that they gave her a relationship with someone that's going to be permanent, at least for now. Um, so I like him overall. Yeah. I, well, the funny thing is, yeah, he may be a thief, but why is he a thief? He's like returning like species to their natural environments. And like, right. that's his like, that's his all. So it's like for the best possible reason, exactly. right? That he's a thief. Exactly. He's like, he's like trying to, to, you know, get rid of like all this, you know, thing we're, we're trafficking of, of species and stuff. And I thought that was, exactly. that was fun. Um, so yeah, Stephanie, uh, besides his queen, what are your thoughts of uh, <laughs> book in, in general? Uh, very much the same. I like that he was he, he brought more depth to Burnham um, than Ash. Was that what he was going Ash. by? Yeah. Um, yeah. They brought a lot more depth out with her character in her interactions with him. Um, and he is that fun cliche uh rogue with a heart of gold thing and as you just said nathan he's he's doing it all because he loves the animals granted we find out it's partly because he can communicate with them so <laughs> he knows exactly why he's got to save the animals um but i think he is a fun outsider uh to bring in in this new post-federation yet federation still exists sort of world uh, he's your everyday man who's been going through life post-burn and gives us a perspective of the people of that time. And I also kind of thought he was going to be a antagonist at first, and I was really happy that it turned out he was kind of the playful antagonist, mm -hmm. where it's just they tease each other. It's not really that they're out for each other and stuff like that. Yeah. And the will they won't they thing throughout the whole season was driving me bonkers i was like doing the thing you see on the internet all the time just like now kiss because <laughs> the tension was so clearly developed yet they weren't taking that last step so i was like finally when they did that's why it was a long moonlighting. year okay <laughs> <laughs> exactly that's why it was such a long year <laughs> i think it's funny that we all thought that he's going to be a villain and then he turns out to be the Star Trek version of Bubbles from the Powerpuff Girls. <laughs> <laughs> I talk to animals. Okay. Oh my but, gosh, um, he really is. <laughs> <laughs> so Ryan, what do you think of a uh, book? Well, I mean, you know, one... Okay, like, again, Star Trek has a history of, like, talking to saving the animals i mean it was you know, he might have been saving the whales you know um, Best Trek movie there is yeah, yeah there you go you know i mean so if spock can talk to the animals why can't uh why can't booker um but like my thing about him is is star trek's hit or miss like when they bring in the the non-starfleet person you know to join the crew i mean like is this going to be another neelix god i hope not and it, it obviously wasn't hey my um, cat is neelix <laughs> i know and and it's a queen i'm sure you know? <laughs> but what, the way what i liked about his journey his character development through the season was you know he starts off Yes, he's got the heart of gold. He's doing the good things, but he's got that rough exterior. Right. And, and But more than that, this is someone who grew up, yeah, post-burn time, but also hearing legends of Starfleet. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's he's been told, oh, Starfleet was, the Federation was so great. The Federation was this and that and everything. And, like, when you're a little kid, like, wow, 
that's so great. And then you become a jaded teenager and a 20 something. And then what, however old he gets and you're like, yeah, the real world doesn't work that way. And then he meets them. And then he meets these people from the Federation and they inspire him and make him realize that those legends he had heard as a child were real. And so what happens is rather than like, like I was, because it's got that kind of dark vibe to it, I'm afraid, oh, they're going to, you know, gravitate towards him and having to do things outside the book and having to be slightly evil. But no, by the end of the season, he wants to join them. He wants to do things the right way. He's like, he he doesn't just read the book. He memorizes the book. <laughs> right, yes, you know? I love that. It's like, here's like the book. And so he's, this, yeah. and he's coming back and he's quoting things from the book. And yes. Stuff. This is like, <laughs> that's great. And I love that, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> yeah, I know. And I'd say actually with his character, we had more of an example of someone who is like, yes, now I want to be a team player than with Burnham, who's the one that at the end is running the ship. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's a very good point. Um, but all right. Uh, yeah, I, I think you guys have talked about everything that I wanted to say about book. I also like the, you know, they finally got the, yeah, like Stephanie, I was just like, all right, I'm sick of the will they, won't they just do it already. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't want a moonlighting uh, situation. Right. Exactly. Um, and, and yes, I do absolutely love that cat, that, that, that cat that no one like other than book and Burnham can like take care of. Like the cat hates everybody. Else. <laughs> I think that's funny. But anyway, um, so, uh, so yeah, Saru, Saru, um, I, I, I you know, I, I love Saru. Uh, I've mentioned before, I thought it was great when they made him the captain at the end of season two. I thought that that was really fitting. It, you know, spoke a lot to his journey through the series and, uh, and getting to that point where he came, you know, he came out from being that very submissive Kelpian to being more assertive and everything. And, you know, I liked them showing his struggle with command this season and how for a long time he was looking to Pike. Well, Pike did this. So I, I gonna, I'm going to do this like Pike did and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then him having to like grow beyond that and be like, okay, no, actually I've got to find my own stuff. I did find it a little silly that he was like, let's like, like polling people on like what should be like my action word or whatever. I was like, eh. but, uh, yeah. <laughs> that was pretty comic relief. I love that. Yeah, it's fine. It's just like a little, eh. but, um, you know, but, but I like Saru. I, I liked him a lot. And I am really worried that with their whole, like, yeah, Saru's taking a leave of absence to be with Magic Kelpian. And, and with Burnham now being the captain, I'm kind of like, are they writing him out? Because I would hate that if they wrote him out. But, um, but yeah, so um, uh, let's start with you this time, uh, Keith. What do you think about Saru? I agree with you. Saru was for the first two and a half seasons probably my favorite character mm-hmm. well i think saru and um giorgio i like them a lot i like to like you said i like the fact that he is a very thoughtful person that he considers all the angles one because he was raised as prey on his planet so he always has to be very careful he always looks at the consequences of his actions but what i, I really like is he is nobody's coward and even though he may doubt himself he knows how to be very firm when he is in command and i like also that he's trying to give people the benefit of a doubt because he had you know if you think about it um burnham got his captain killed one way or the other mm-hmm. and he was hard on her for, yeah exactly <laughs> good point and but he was still willing to see the best in her and i like the kind of captain he's trying to become 
like you, I love Shaniqua Martin Green. I don't know if I wanted her to become captain over him. Actually. Yeah, I thought, I thought her arc make, was going to be at the end. She was going to be ready to be first officer, which I would have too. accepted that she would learn under Saru, you know, like what she needed to be a captain. But I felt like jumping her all the way to captain was too much. Yeah. And I thought to a certain extent, they, this is my personal opinion, but the, the, the episode of the moment when Saru made a decision that he thought was basically according to the book and by what Starfleet should need. And the Admiral kind of dressed him down very nicely you know, that was the whole thing, whereas you went by the book, Burnham went by the emotions. And if you don't take this rash act, your people will never trust you and you'll never trust yourself. Something about that scene didn't sit well with me, even though I know it was supposed to be grooming him to become a captain. And maybe because in some ways it was almost like they were showing for what y'all have been saying. It's almost like it was showing that Burnham had better instincts than he did to be captain. And actually, I remember raising an eyebrow at that scene. It's kind of like, oh, and now you're trying to say that. Saru has gone to be too much by the book. I didn't like that treatment of him. He is a calming influence. He is like Picard in some ways. He's someone that I would trust as a captain. And I think that I really wanted to see him grow as a captain. Uh, I just like everything about him. And I think like his intelligence, I like the fact that he doubts himself. But again, he may go in the room and doubt himself. But then when he comes out and he makes a decision, he makes a decision. And I, and I like that. So I'd like to see more of him. I haven't read that Doug Jones is leaving, but I like you. I don't know what he's going to do on that planet with that, with that kid for a while. Uh, I want to see him come back, but it'll be awkward. If he comes back, will he now be her first officer? Yeah, I mean, that's what it almost seems like they're setting up. And I don't, I don't like that. Uh, I don't either. I really don't like that either. Yeah, and I feel like it undoes like all his work. Because this whole season, we've seen him struggling with right. how do I be the captain? And that's right. the, but then like Burnham sits down and she already has her command word and everything all set and everything. And again, it just felt like <laughs> they were slapping Saru in the face. It's like, Oh, you took a whole season, you know, like she just sits down and instantly has it, you know, like, yeah, he, he just has a quiet, he has a quiet strength and a wisdom that resonates with me. So I really like him as a character. Mm-hmm. I've also really liked having a captain that wasn't human. Yes. Good point. Yeah, thank and you I'm I'm really kind of hoping that I mean, from one point of view, it's like okay, great, we now have a black captain who's a woman. We right. haven't had that yet in Star Trek, and that is a great thing to have. But at the same time, her character isn't fit for that point at right now. Um, like the two of you, I also thought that was going to be her, her final arc as she's now the uh, first officer. She finally took that position because he had just been having an acting first officer the whole time anyways. He wasn't actually settling on someone. So it was definitely as though they were setting Saru up to be waiting for Burnham to come into her own and realize that, yes, I can handle this role after all. And I just... Saru is a great character, and it was so awesome having a non-human captain. And I really hope that he isn't leaving the show. I haven't heard anything about that either. Uh, but it definitely was a oh no moment when he was taking a, a sabbatical, so to speak. Um, and I don't know that I really want to see his time with Magic Kelpian. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Let's not resonate with dilithium anymore. <laughs> it's they they dug themselves into a hole there because unless he does stay with Magic Kelpian, 
um, they have to have Burnham somehow screw up and lose her position, which will be kind of detrimental in some ways. Um, or we have Saru getting jilted of a role that he worked his butt off to finally get and definitely deserves. And at this point, I think he does deserve it more than Burnham does. Oh, oh, I just had an idea. Two words. Admiral Saru. <laughs> as long as he doesn't turn evil and he's still on the show regularly, I am fine with that. <laughs> that avoids both those issues. He just gets another promotion. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it is really a, a crummy situation that they wrote those two characters into by doing that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that completely. Can they do any kind of other arc with him that would make sense, such as give him another ship or make him an ambassador or anything weird like that? I mean, maybe they can do something else with him. It just feels like maybe now, yeah, because the Federation's going to reestablish itself with the Kelpians probably. If he becomes like the ambassador between like the Federation and the Kelpians, maybe that makes some sense. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean... But I, I still think that he deserves to be captain of the Discovery far more than Burnham does. I would have been far happier with the idea that he's the captain and she's the first officer. Mm. All right, Ryan, what do you think about Saru this season? Uh, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, at this point in time, I actually have enough faith in the, in the showrunners to believe that when they made when they made this change, that they've got something in mind. Assuming Doug Jones wants to go on um you know i'm, I'm going to unless he wanted to leave in which case this makes complete sense but like no one no, none of us four people here who are all attuned into fandom none of us had heard anything to that effect so i'm going to assume Suri's gonna be back i'm gonna assume doug jones is gonna be back and i'm gonna assume they actually have an idea of how to do it in a way that makes it work um i, I do want to uh just but again take it back on the idea because uh, like starfleet is such a human-centric uh, agency. I mean, we talk about going yeah. by the books. The book was written by humans. You know, yeah. 99% of the captains that we've seen are humans. Um, Starfleet and was headquartered on Earth for Earth. most of its existence. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Every admiral. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking, aside from the occasional Vulcan, yeah, we've seen or Romulan Vulcan pretending admiral. to be a Vulcan, yeah, sure. Every right. admiral we see is a uh, um, is is a human you know um everyone any uh commanding officer just about so i it's such a novel idea to see saru uh to see a non-human as as a captain and to see that you know he comes at at, at the position in the job thinking differently um with with a past experience that's based as much on his species on biology biology as anything else it's, it's like uh having a vulcan captain just go you know logically we need to do this and this and this I mean, so i love being able to see it that way and just seeing how the entire human crew has to come to him on that rather than just having this gung-ho you know i'm well my gut tells me like i love pike don't get me wrong but pike mm-hmm. is very much a human you know kirk is very much a human they're all humans um and so it was just so refreshing, and I really enjoyed that. And I'd love to see them do more with him. And I, my gut on this, you know, since I'm a human, um, <laughs> is that, to the best of my knowledge, I don't remember them addressing what's become of the Kelpian since the burn. I mean, obviously, Magic Kelpian Boy has started the burn, so he was there pre-burn. So um, I kind of have this idea in my head that that uh, the Kelpians have probably become like a very aggressive 
um, very domineering uh, species or something like that. And maybe maybe Saru is going to be involved uh, in that. Maybe season four is going to be heavy on on uh, integrating the Kelpians back into the Federation or something. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I just ha have to have, as strange as it sounds, I have to have faith that they're going to do something with him um, next season. I will say, and you, you're probably going to address this when you talk about her, but like the only decision he made, which really ticked me off, was promoting promoting Tilly to first officer. Yeah, uh, and that made absolutely no sense. Yeah, and I kind of lost so much respect. For uh, well, and that's she, the thing. What, it's like like people like Tilly, but that's yeah. not all that a first officer needs. Exactly. To. You don't need to be like, oh, it's a buddy, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you don't need a friend. Yeah. You need a leader. <laughs> Yeah. Right, and I mean, maybe she it turned out that like, she was pretty much up to it, more or less, you know, inexperienced. But yeah, she's do you know what it, it so. reminded me of, Ryan? And this is what I said to Beth when we were watching it. It reminded me of Coulson saying that Sky was who he was going uh, to make director of Shield, and I was like, yeah, you can see potential, you know, yeah. like and say like, yeah, like in years, like Tilly would make like a great first officer, but it's yeah. like as an ensign to just be like, not nah, straight from ensign to first officer, yeah. you know, like you're just and, not you ready. Know, I mean, Exactly. She's not ready. And I know like the crew liked her and everything, but I would I would be if I was lieutenant on, on Discovery, I'd be resentful. You know? I mean it's just had more experience than Cadet Kirk yeah. becoming captain. <laughs> well that's uh, the Abram verse, so let's not bring uh, that up again. <laughs> We've all had our issues with the Abram verse. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And that was that was literally the only point in this season where I was like, wow, I that I might just want to give up now. You know? Right. Or, yeah. Like they covered it with like that one thing where she just says to Stan, it's like, would you be like, you know, annoyed if I took this? And he's like, no. Nah. And it's like, he's not the only person ahead of you on this ship. In fact, Hilly, just about everybody on this ship is yes. a higher rank than you. So <laughs> like 90% of that crew is. Yeah, I agree that. Yeah, it's like, you know, Harry Kim, you, I see something in you. You know, okay, <laughs> no, step back. You know, you're, you're my new even, even better, even better, Harry Kim, still alive in the future. And yeah. he's still an ensign. He's, like, <laughs> he's got like a ship named after him. <laughs> that he's an ensign. But to your point, Ryan, uh, that's funny because at least Harry Kim served on a ship for seven years. Yes. You know, right. and I think in season, like, I'm just on a board to rewatch, in season six, Harry Kim is commanding the night shift, which makes no sense because he's still a freaking ensign. But he at least had been a, a, on the command staff for six years. So I agree with you. the Tilly thing. That that comes back to that that kind of weird bombastic writing where sometimes they'll just go, "This will be neat. Let's do it." Yeah. It kind of didn't make sense. Well, it's when again they put so so I mentioned how they're good with emotional resonance. This yeah. is them though putting the emotional resonance ahead of the plot, which is good when point. like yeah the fans all love Tilly, so we'll make her first officer. I really think that was the only thing they were thinking. Fans love Tilly, ergo will promote Tilly. And it was like, but you promoted her way too far. Wasn't she only in acting? Yeah, no, she was only in acting. She wasn't even promoted. That's just it. She was given the position of first officer as an ensign. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, everyone above the chain of command, above her, had to take her orders, even though they outranked her. Right. Yeah. But I am now amused of thinking of the USS Ensign Harry Kim. 
Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually think it's uh i actually now have this like idea of how funny it would be if like harry for whatever reason like he's just like used every technology everything that he could find to just stay alive so that he could get promoted and then it's like and then till he gets like promoted ahead of him and he's just like no come on <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I always disagreed with that on Voyager because I was like, you don't need like a quota of ensigns on the ship. You can always promote Harry to like lieutenant because he still should outrank like a lot of those Maquis people that they yeah. brought in. We've, we've, day, so we've talked like, about this before, Nathan, and I disagree with you on this one. Uh, okay. Because well, if you're going to promote everyone just by time past, there's no new officer. So eventually everyone on, on Voyager is going to be captain. And that's fine. And then you just go by the date of their commission. But then what's the difference? That's still how you outrank them. The chain of command still <laughs> because exists. Because when you eventually reach Starfleet again, you should have a rank that like is commensurate with the like what you did and like I'm on sure the ship. You know, like, they will probably be given it. If Harry gets back to Starfleet and it's like he's been doing the work of a first officer of a of a lieutenant or whatever, then he's going to get it mm. of a commander. I'm sure. I mean, you know. Your argument only fails because of Tom Paris. Who gets Thank demoted you. and promoted, demoted and promoted, demoted and promoted. That's because well, his dad the other, is an the other thing that I want to bring That's up, though, just is, nepotism. But the other thing that I want to bring up, though, is it was never a problem on the Enterprise for them to have, like, 19 commanders. And, and you know, like, and it's like, even though in most ships that we see, there's only one, you know, there's one captain, one commander, then there could be multiple lieutenant commanders. But there's a point when, you know, like Spock is a commander, Scotty is a commander, Sulu is a commander, Uhura is a commander, and they're all still on the Enterprise. And nobody's like, well, we have too many commanders here, you know, like, we got to move I, them to different ships. Yeah. You're talking like, you're talking like about the movies. Yeah. And yeah, and coming at one point in the movies, there were two captains, Spock and Kirk. So whatever. Well, no, Kirk was an admiral when Spock was a captain. No, and and um and five and six, uh uh, and Kirk and Spock were both captains. No, they were both demoted. No, so, so Spock, Spock is a commander look at, look and at Kirk his, is look, a captain. Look at his, look, look at his rank on, on his uniform. An undiscovered country. It's captain. Okay, I did, I didn't look at the insignia. But uh, I do remember that he said like, in Star Trek Four that he would take the same like punishment. Why would the demote Spock? He didn't do anything. He didn't steal a ship. He was res being resurrected. Well, no, but he said he'll take the same punishment they take. They said like in the trial, like Spock, you don't have to stand with them. And he said, no, I'm going to take the same punishment they take. Yeah, he said, I stand with my friends. Right. That meant right, that he was take taking the, the same punishment that they took. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he, the, he was standing with them, and so he yes. would get the verdict. That but they no got. one else was demoted. Just Kirk. <laughs> In the uh, in the Mad Magazine did a treatment of that movie, and the scene where Spock says, "I stand," they said, "You don't have to be be with them." He said, "I stand with my friends." And the guy, and then the guy goes, "Well, the penalty for what they've done is death." And Spock goes, "Okay, I'll be standing over here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting near my friends. <laughs> I'm with you in spirit, guys. Yeah. <laughs> it would be illogical for me to you know. hashtag Enterprise forever. Yeah. <laughs> okay, all right." All right. Oh, this is <laughs> way tangent. <laughs> it was a great one, though. All right, we're going way too long on this. So, okay, we got we got quite a few <laughs> characters here. We've still got we we haven't really talked that much about Tilia, only about the descent. Oh, oh, I didn't even get to have my Saru comments because everybody's going off on tangents. Um, <laughs> so, so somebody mentioned um, Saru and Giorgio together, and that sparked me off on one of the things that I really liked about when they sent Giorgio back, though, was the relationship between her and Saru. 
in 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 that you know alternate timeline past or whatever and i like the fact that like saru became like the only person that was loyal to her you know like because she started treating him with respect because of the relationship that she had had with saru in the prime you know timeline you know whatever we want to call like what discovery is you know like the relationship she had had with him that even though she was always insulting him and everybody else it's like she actually gained like this huge respect for saru and so she treated the alternate saru with that same respect even though he was just you know he was like a slave in that you know environment and uh, and i did like that he was like he and the kelpians were like the people that like tried to come to her rescue when everything was going bad and, and you know like there was the mutiny and everything uh and that alternate like life she was living so i, I like that and i like that it showed the impact that he has as a character on others i think all, pretty much all my other comments have been uh you know addressed with saru but it's, i didn't want to bring that up it's it's like we credit burnham with changing giorgio but i would say saru was like at least half as much mm-hmm yeah, because he was, you know, because the Terran Empire is built all around, like, the inferiority of other species. And so for her to see, like, you know, a Kelpian that was assertive and was competent and was, you know, all the, you know, he did all the things that he needed to do and was a good leader. You know, that that definitely, I think, had an impact on her, you know, assessment of things. Yeah. Or maybe Kelpians just really taste bad and no one will mention <laughs> Oh. That was such a horrifying moment in the first season when they <laughs> we oh. find out they eat them. Um, so yeah, okay. So we got Tilly. We've got um, 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 Samets. We've got Georgia. We we talked a little about Georgia, but not not huge amount about Georgia. We've got oh god, um, medical officer. Why is his name escaping me? So, Hugh. Yes, thank you, Hugh. And 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 I uh, the uh, the other one that I wanted to talk about. Well, we got our new characters too. Our our trill human hybrid. Um, and uh, God, I'm so bad on names right now, and I didn't have Wikipedia open like I should have. Um, the boyfriend is blue, isn't it? Yeah. And um, we have Adira. Yes. That's, that yes, right. That's right. And then we have the engineer that they picked up in season two. Um, oh, I'm so glad she made it to the future. Yeah, I, I absolutely adore her, but it seemed like her role was like almost non-existent this season. Um, she was there a good bit in the first few episodes just to like tell Stamets that he was being an idiot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but then she didn't people should line up, up for that role. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Uh, 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 Jet, what's her name? Jet. Yeah, yeah. So we um, need to give Jet just a, an official title of keeping Stamets in Checkinator or something. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of feel bad, you know. I, I wanted to definitely hit more time, give more time to Burnham and Saru um, and Book because uh, they're kind of like sort of like the main three characters this season. But it's like. Uh, now we, we've got such little time to talk about everybody else. So, um, <laughs> Stephanie, Yo. pick somebody or multiple people. Like, <laughs> <laughs> who do you want to talk about? Well, as much as I love Jet, let's go with the, uh, the new adoptive family with Adira, mm-hmm. Stamets, and Hugh. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a beautiful setup as to how they did that. Um, yes, it's kind of more heavy-handed to modern-day society than future society. But um, 
I, I don't know. It just makes me really happy that the queer couple adopted the queer kid and mm. they're all just happy with each other uh, through a lot of misery and suffering, but they're happy together. <laughs> um, and I definitely like the uh, bringing back of the trill. Um, it does seem like they completely forgot that Riker temporarily hosted mm -hmm. a trill, but that's okay. That was 900 years earlier. <laughs> but it's temporary. It's, it, we, you know, it's. Yeah, but they were like making that huge fuss that, oh, it's an abomination to even be in the human and blah, blah, blah. But it, that, that, that next gen episode established that, yeah, they take temporary hosts if needed. And maybe it's an abomination because. The trill speed, the trill hosts are evolved. They, they don't have this confusion of personalities the way that humans clearly do. If there is any uh, indication, well, maybe the issue was that after joining with Riker, they were like, "Oh my God, this was so awful. We're never going to do this again." So maybe it started <laughs> the abomination thing. But that was just Riker's fault, right? Because they put a trill in Riker, and his first thought was, "How can I have sex with this?" <laughs> <laughs> but I, I i don't get what you're getting at with the adira personality issue she was just i totally just misgendered them but um they were just confused about their own identity uh and having stamets there to accept them as they are uh helped them grow and accept that they didn't actually have mental issues they just didn't have anyone to open up to and express who they really are. And there was also the fact that there is some sort of connection between them and the prior host that I don't think that's a mental thing. I think that's actually part of the trill joining with the human in that manner. Well, I mean, all past, now granted, we don't have but a handful of references, but all past trill have always expressed themselves in terms of their host, Jadzia, Ezra, Ezri, and all the others. Um, so the only difference here is that this is a human. So that's kind of where I'm going on. I feel like Star Trek here is doing what they've always done best is address modern, you know, social issues, but couch it and alien to, I guess, to make it more palatable or something, you know? Um, but uh, that's kind of the impression that I got. Well, Adira was still using the Trill's the host, uh, not the host, the symbiont's name for a surname. As, yes. But did Adira... Which all the others did. Well, I guess my question is, and maybe I missed it, but did they ever address what pronouns Adira used before being joined? Yes, Adira flat out said that they felt that way before being joined. Before? Okay. All right, then that's valid. I, the impression I got, and maybe I wasn't paying attention, was that that was a post-joining. No, it was no. a pre-thing, but post was when they started accepting it a little bit more mm. okay yeah i had some weird stuff I, again it's it's one of those things they want to reimagine stuff and it's fine to reimagine stuff and, and i just have to like accept the fact it's never going to be like perfectly like synchronized you know like with what i expect is the whole thing of like the whole thing of being able to externalize one of your previous hosts is something that's supposed to be like a special trill like ceremony and it shouldn't just be but then again you can always say well this is because it's a human joined with the trill maybe it works differently or whatever so you know but i i did have problems with that like uh, just like the, shouldn't be able to do that but okay <laughs> well 
Or maybe you have to have like a personal connection to that previous because yeah, you know, yeah, they only ever hand wave whatever, I guess. Yeah. But yeah. I'm, okay. <laughs> yeah, they might get around the whole human connection because of in the next generation episode, Riker wasn't going to be able to host that trill permanently. Remember, he almost died for that because right. of that. So, right. I'm just assuming it's better technology, medical technology in the future that's allowing it to be like a true like joining with the human. Right. You know? I mean, right. It, okay. I'm this is like well, okay. Total conjecture, obviously. But it could very well be that Adira's personality prior to being joining, going by you know, they, them, and and just being more open to the concept uh, of fluidity and so forth is what allowed that joining to succeed in a way that Riker was so cis that it's not even funny. Um, so that maybe, maybe it's literally that, you know, <laughs> the quote of the, the quote of the episode, Riker is so, 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 so not even funny. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> you know? And I stand by that, you know, <laughs> um, Anything, I, I, again, I'm sorry, but we're going to have to, like, just snap through these characters. Like, anything more anybody wants to say about Adira and the relationship there or anything? I just, I love it. I mean, I, I don't buy the whole Stamets hating Burnham now being set up for future enemies. But uh, because, you know, I because... I like that's going to really be a temporary bitterness. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. Okay. Um, then, uh, Ryan, pick another character. Um, the computer, the data. I wanted oh. to see more of that. <laughs> well, I sure, mean, but we didn't get a lot of it. So no, we didn't. But by say. the end, yeah. the data is taking over the drones. You right. know, so I feel like something big is coming that way. Which I guess well, we know. We, from the shorts. Did, did, you, did you watch the short track? Yeah, because that's, yeah. that's what I was about to say. Because we know eventually Discovery will be abandoned, and the computer will control the entire ship. Yeah, yeah. like there's short tracks. Oh yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> I've managed to miss these. <laughs> did, you re- did you really not see any of the short tracks? I haven't. They're, they're on CBS oh. All Access. There's, yeah, like, just, there's like 10 of them. Yeah. And they're for Picard and Discovery. Oh, yeah, well, there's only one for I, Picard, uh, if I recall correctly. Um, but uh, I apparently have some watching to do. Yeah, yeah, because there's, there's ones that happen like after... Se- like there were ones they released before season two, and then there were ones they released before season three. Um, I saw were the ones that involved Tilly and the princess. That's one of them. Yeah, that's one of them. But there are many more. Yeah. One of them is someone who discovers the discovery like a thousand more years into the future. And oh, it's just wow. abandoned. And basically, he falls in love with the ship kind of right. thing. <laughs> right. And it shows him movies because that's how you help people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which was a setup for this season where the ship decides that showing people movies gets them over PTSD. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> I thought there were only like three of those. Oh, wow. I feel like an idiot now. Well, yeah. thank you guys for mentioning it. Yeah, no problem. I thought you knew or I would have said I something mean, sooner. Yeah. And the, the Picard one is really good. Um, I saw the Picard one. Oh, okay. okay. Um, but I thought it was like only three of them for Discovery and that Picard one. I didn't know there's like there's like several before. just with like the pike crew too I think there's yeah. like two yeah. or three with the pike crew really oh, yeah man. which was like their sort of like soft like pilot for like hey people do you want more of this yeah. we could do a whole series about yeah. pike huh there, uh, there, wait, wait. there's one where uh, number one and Spock get stuck in a turbo lift together it's great <laughs> <laughs> so. 
okay, well, I know what I'm doing tomorrow for <laughs> dinner watch. Yeah, it'll take, yeah, it will not take you long to just blow through those. They are fairly I, I short. I don't oh. into CBS for anything okay. except for when these are airing, so I didn't realize that they the, did more. The only one that is terrible... And um, the only one that's terrible, but I also love it at the same time, is there's one about the origin of Tribbles. But I do, you don't necessarily need to watch that one, but it is. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. have problems with that. I, I but anyway. Watch, <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So, yeah, I mean, does anyone else have anything to say about the, about the sphere of knowledge or whatever that's in the computer? Yeah, okay. All right, Keith, pick a character. <laughs> Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna cheat and just do a blanket because I think what what y'all said earlier I'm very interested in it's all the other bridge crew yeah Detmer Owasakun Riss and Bryce and yes I'm reading this off the internet I can't <laughs> <those names. laughs> that's the thing when I was watching the season I knew their names but as soon as it was over I yeah. forgot them all yeah I'm the same way because you know what was wild was when the season three start wrapping up and the kind of overdone thing with the evil Orion woman and all that kind of mm-hmm. mess. And they were running around the ship. And then there was that whole thing in the inside of the turbo lifts, which seemed bigger than the ship itself. So yes. About. Yeah. Yeah. Was, yeah. I did not like that either. Yeah. I have managed to forget about that scene. Yeah. But you know what I saw was, it was so wild. As y'all had said earlier, when they were fighting, they're a really likable group of people. And a couple of times when they were in the, when they were in the, rooms when they were in the, the, the break room or the, the break room, the mess hall eating and talking they're really likable characters and when they had that final battle and they had to save the ship i really liked those characters it was almost after three seasons it was almost the first time i really had seen any of them mm-hmm. and i hope they can do like deep space nine and develop those characters more because i like every single one of them and i realize how little they've really been given to do so far in the series mm-hmm. No, that's and a good so, point. Yeah, and I just think they have great chemistry, and I love their love so much more. And like you said, is Detmer still kind of crazy? Is she going to go nuts one day? There's so much more <laughs> I'd like to know about them. So I would really like to see a little bit more focus on them in season four. Right, like right. Don't just them. develop them in the episode that you kill them off. Exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. And that was the thing. They were so good. Yeah. yeah, they worked so well together in that crisis, and they were just great characters. And I was looking at them going, wow, this character, this actor has a lot of potential, but we really haven't seen them do more. And I think what you guys are saying earlier, maybe it was you, Ryan, especially was like, oh, Tilly is cool. We love you, Tilly. Don't worry about it. You can take the job. Like, is this all they're going to be using them for? <laughs> yeah. Um, I will say, uh, I'm sorry. Sorry. I'm going to cut that. Um, does anyone else have anything to say about the bridge crew? Just, I agree. I really hope that they start becoming more predominant where I can remember their names when the season is over. Yeah, I mean, I, I learned that one of them can hold their breath for a really long time. That was interesting. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And because they started giving her depth, I was so worried they were going to kill her. Yep. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Me too. It's it's like every time like uh, Joe West is in danger on The Flash, I'm like, oh, God, is this the time they're going to kill him off? Yeah. <laughs> Been expecting it for seven seasons. <laughs> I like him too much. They're gonna kill him off one of these days. <laughs> all right. Um, all right. So I'm gonna talk about uh, Tilly because I'm gonna say like you know, 
you know, Tilly's been a fan favorite, um, you know, but to me, it's like there hasn't been a whole lot of substance there in the prior two seasons. There's been some great interactions with Burnham that I've really liked. I felt like this season, Tilly did come into her own. Well, I feel like making her the first officer was a bit too much. I felt like Tilly's character gained a lot of maturity mm-hmm. in this season. Um, I really liked a lot of what they were doing with her. I liked the whole thing when like they're on the planet where it's her and Saru going out and, you know, they they come to like where these people are basically being like, you know, like uh, it's like almost like a protection racket or whatever, where these people come through and raid their planet like periodically and everything. And so like, you know, like, and how they turn the tables on those guys and everything. I don't know. I felt like Tilly did become a far more mature character. And I really like, while still being fun, you know, and still being the Tilly that everybody loves, you know, without going through a radical personality shift. And I even liked her having to be in charge of the ship again, even though I thought it was far too soon, but I like the fact that she took that with the proper gravitas and wasn't just like, well, I get to be captain, you know, like I get to control the ship or whatever. And having to go through, you know, like, uh, you know, like the emotional weight of that and everything. And I really liked her having to deal with that. So I was very happy with Tilly's portrayal this season. Um, fun fact about her. I mean, this is kind of unrelated, but kind of really regarding Tilly, regarding the actress, the uh, guy who played the Andorian who had his antennae cut off mm-hmm. um, by the Orions, that's uh, her real life husband. I'd heard that already, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Yep. So, you know, I don't know. I was trying to watch the see- scenes and see if I could, get anything from that and they did have a moment the two of them mm. yeah any other comments on tilly i agree with what you said i think she's a she's a good character she's innately likable and i i agree with you i liked i like the fact that she is growing the um first officer thing was a bridge too far but overall <laughs> i like her and i like her art mm-hmm. exactly what keith just said i i love tilly she is so mm-hmm. much fun Mm-hmm. Uh, she did grow a lot in this this particular season, but the promotion was just that was going a little too far, and I really hope that uh, it at least pays off in the next season, where she yeah. has that experience, and maybe a little bit of her anxiety and uh, lack of self confidence has just dissipated a little bit. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Nog had to go through like two years of war and a leg to get to lieutenant. So I mean, right? Like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Wesley had to go through like you know twelve sweaters. So yeah. <laughs> well, he never made lieutenant. Harry got killed, and he's still trying to get promoted. <laughs> well, he, he he. What was his rank? He went back to Starfleet. He became the star child and, you know, <laughs> left our plate of existence. <laughs> but he must have come back because in Nemesis, he was wearing a uniform. Yeah, but like he could make his own uniform if he's the star child. I mean, he could just do that to blend in. <laughs> like, I never like took that to mean he rejoined Starfleet. I just thought that he just like gave himself a uniform because he's like, of course I have a uniform. I'm Why would he like- do that? He, he doesn't need that trapping. He could show up completely naked if he's a star child, you know? Well, I know, but he just because he wanted to. <laughs> I don't know if it's canon or not, but I thought I had read somewhere. I thought I had read somewhere that he ended up joining the starship that Cisco ends up captaining when he comes back. That would definitely be novelization, not canon. Uh, right, yeah. right. Yeah, that'd be yeah. like a non-canon thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It would have to be. Um, but uh, yeah. So uh, last thing that I want to talk about from the show um, is our villainess, our um, our Orion, you know, syndicate. 
Um, you know, uh, so yeah, what do we think about what do we think about God again? I forgot her name. <laughs> so for people who don't know, I actually watched season three of Discovery several months ago. My herniated disc like threw off the schedule like completely. And so we're now recording this like two months later than I wanted to. So um, you know, that's why I'm having a hard time struggling to remember names, even though the details of the season are pretty are pretty good in my head. It's the names that I'm having struggles with. Does anyone remember the name of our Orion Syndicate faction leader? Not offhand, but we'll, we'll find out. Because I'm right. the same way. It's it's hard. I don't remember episode names or a whole lot of character names quite yet. Yeah, I don't feel like episode names are as important in, usually with, with like Discovery because of the way that it's more like an arc than it is like yeah. standalone stuff. Although Unification 3 was one that will always stick with me because of its callback to Next Gen. But, uh, right. <laughs> it was, was Osiris. Osira, Osira thank you. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, what do you think about Osira? Let's start with you this time, Stephanie. Um, I had mixed feelings on her. I liked her more as the villainous than the I'm actually here trying to work out a deal thing. Mm. Um, but man, she was pretty brutal. But yeah, but isn't that just part of her villainy? Was trying to like make Starfleet like become more like them. I mean, it was, but she also really genuinely seemed to be interested in making a deal and not making a big fuss out of it. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, that was... That, that, that little bit there was just kind of awkward for me. Um, but I liked her. She was an interesting addition. I did like the fact that they took the Orion slave girls and just went full on with them. Because um, wasn't it Enterprise, I think, that established that the slave girls aren't actually slave girls at all? Um, yeah, that was Enterprise. Yeah, they're they're the actual dominant gender um, on Orion. And I, I thought it was really interesting that they actually played with that and went with the fact that in a thousand years uh they're no longer going the seduction route they're just going the full-on yeah we're in charge route with her okay and keith i didn't love her character i felt that um when i keep talking about sometimes they're too broad i felt that she was too broad of a character i thought she was such a typical quote-unquote villain and i, I actually preferred it to, I, I like characters where I can call them antagonist instead of villain. Mm, and okay. yeah, she came off as a villain. And as the show went on, especially toward the end, like when she killed, you know, when she killed uh, the Andorian, and then all of a sudden she goes from the, the the doctor, the guy who had the disability, who has it in real life, you know, the guy who thought she was a really great person all these years, and then she just instantly she turns to this horrible person that he never knew she was. I, I felt that the character was too broad. So every time, it, it's funny, Stephanie, I'm slightly opposite to you. When I thought she was negotiating with the Federation, I kind of was curious. I was interested in her. Like, oh, this will be very interesting. Because, you know, this has happened so many times in real life and mm -hmm. in the history of Earth where you have uh, companies, I mean, a company, you have countries that negotiate with other countries or with organizations that are somewhat shady. And I thought wow, this could be very interesting. But the more she became just a straight up villain, I the less I was interested in her. And the whole end of the thing where they had to fight and there was this and that and the ships and stuff, I just felt like I was watching a very typical science fiction show. 
it probably didn't help that that dude became her henchman that they met on the planet. You know, the guy who walked in, it was real evil. And um, he, he, he can't, he, he, he seemed like some out of a bad sci-fi Western to me. Mm. And so the two of them together, I did not love her character. She just felt way too broad. And I thought she would have been much more interesting had she been a true representative of the Orion syndicate trying to make a deal than when she became just the, the, the villain. And as I, she really didn't do a lot for me. Okay. And Ryan? Um, first, I, I want to say that henchman, I, I don't know the actor's name, but I've been following, I'm, he, I'm, he was Joe Dubois in Medium, and I don't know why, but I love that guy. Um, he was also yes. in um, uh, Day of the Dead, Dawn of the Dead, whichever when they were in the mall. Um, yeah. And, uh, but anyways, I love him, and I really, I was so glad to see him come have at least a multi-episode uh, appearance. Yeah. Um, but as far as Asira herself goes... Yeah, I mean, I kind of agree that she was the most interesting uh, when you realize, realize that she had ambitions beyond, you know, petty crime lord. Like, like right. she, she wants to be into politics. You know, she wants to have a legacy where she's the one who brought the Federation's good reputation to um, the syndicate or, or whatever they were called. Um, but like in the pantheon of returning villains for Star Trek, I, she falls like dead in the middle for me. I mean, she's no, she's definitely not Goldicott. She's not even Seska. Oh, okay. I, mean, I was about to say, like, yeah, I mean, so few villains are Goldicott. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, I might put her, I mean, I'm, I'm honestly trying to think, like, she's above Discovery Season One's Harry Mud. But um, yeah. <laughs> other than that, yeah, I'm just like, she's, oh, I'm just, yeah. Um, uh, maybe she might be, she's better than Damar. Okay, I'll give her that. <laughs> oh, poor Damar. <laughs> um, she's not better than uh, Wei Yun. Definitely not better than um, Kai Wen. So yeah, I mean... <laughs> dude. Yeah, you're 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 comparing her to the heavy hitters there. But, saying, like, but that, the re the repeat villains, the, the ones that come back, you know, she's on the middle to low end, definitely. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Okay. Yeah, no, I was just happy to have like the Orion Syndicate being. I think it, I think I liked her more for what she represented than what like she, she actually was. Mm -hmm. um, but I do I do agree with Keith that I found it far more interesting the idea of the Federation actually like getting into like I would have liked for them to have pursued that like when Discovery comes back they've achieved their goal they've solved the burn everything's better but then they find out that the Federation has made this deal that means that they now have to do some shady stuff and again put discovery on the outs with things where it's right. like they can't abide by this decision the, like this new this version of the federation has made and, and have that be like a problem or a source of tension and that would have been like an interesting thing to explore but i feel like they do even though like the seasons are arcs i feel like at least so far with discovery they want each season to be very self-contained so by the end of the season it was like we finished this story and we're not going to like you know, have like a lot of stuff from this season going to season four. So, um, I mean, I'm right there with you guys in kind in wishing that the Federation had gone along with her because I think that they could have, if they had established that, she could have become more of an antagonist than just a villainess, as right. uh, Keith mentioned. She is just a really forgettable uh, villainess for the most part, though. She just she shows up, she decapitates or whatever for <laughs> some way she can kill someone and she makes Booker's day miserable and then we're on to another plot until the next episode when she rinses and repeats. Right. Yeah. So you guys kind of swayed me a bit too with the whole she she could have definitely been a little bit more interesting uh, with her 
scheming and plotting, except for the fact that they tossed it out the window right away. And I think that's why it sat so uneasy with me where they mm-hmm. turned her uh, into that uh, ambition driven villain as opposed to just a villain for the sake of villainy throughout the rest of the season. Well, yeah, because it was kind of weird because to your point and what Nathan was saying and what everybody was saying earlier about you wonder if this federation is quite the federation we thought it was. Maybe it's a little shadier than we we thought when he was negotiating with her. I was a little surprised that when it happened, I I groaned when the admiral told her basically give yourself up and let us prosecute you and you'll serve an example. I was like, dude, she's not going to take that deal. Right. And everything turned on that. Everything turned on that. And two seconds later, she's like, I'm going to kill everybody. Like, ah. And then she also changed. convinced me the the admiral was full Starfleet. Right. I mean that yeah. that yeah that's when I was completely one hundred percent sold on him. Yeah, yeah but I kind of wish he had. I kind of wish I was I was thinking they were going to do something where he was just going to try to do a deal with her. The whole thing about turning yourself in it, I don't know that that just changed her and then she changed from a negotiator, somebody with big plans to, and then she instantly like, well, no, I'm not going this. Way. I'm just going to kill everybody. And then that's when I truly lost interest in the character. So I agree with you, Nathan. I I wanted to see a different arc with her. Yeah, because I mean, again, I I, I tend to put things into like you know fantasy or D terms it's like if the ferengi are the goblins of the star trek universe the orions are like the hobgoblins like yeah. they are still the shady sort of like backroom deal types but then they also have like you know the 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 weapons to with like to uh to enforce things so i feel like it's kind of interesting because we had ferengi we had the ferengi centric ds9 that had a lot of ferengi stuff and it's like but we've never really had something that dove really deep into or dived whatever the past tense is dived really deep into like the orions like we've had them as you know things that just characters that appear like one-offs and so it would be really interesting to see that you know like the same idea of these are like like ferengi in the way that they like to do all this scheming and dealing but then they also bring the force with them that like ferengi don't have because ferengi are very cowardly sniveling little you know guys and girls Mm -hmm. What so, Frankie were supposed to be in next generation, basically. Right, exactly, exactly. So I, I, I so that's why I like the idea again of the dealing because I thought of that again, like they they do want to do that. They would like to get things easily by making a deal, but if not, they're like, okay, then I just kill you, you know. And so it's like again, it's another dynamic. It's something we haven't seen in a Star Trek, um, you know, as a as a major like antagonist kind of race or or force before organization. So. Um, I would, I would have, I would like to see more of that, and I guess they have the potential of doing more with that, and for for that in future seasons. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, actually, kind of when you think about, it, because up until now, this, the the Orions were the major source of dilithium. So mm-hmm. now that the Federation has this whole planet, the Orions are the the, the competition. They they don't want their power eliminated, so they're either going to have to team up with someone else. Um, which maybe we'll see what the Klingons look like now, or maybe we'll see, you know, Romulans or um, Hellerites, you know, I mean, now they have six nostrils, you know, or, or, yeah, there you go. <laughs> or maybe the Breen. I'd love to see them back again. Yeah, yeah the Breen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh my yeah. God, the Breen. You never turn your back on a Breen is the saying. <laughs> <laughs> Do they still look like Leia's like bounty yeah, hunter character <laughs> from Return of the Jedi? <laughs> what's going on there yeah ryan ryan made a point that i wondered about the next season at which and and stephanie had said this earlier you have an entire planet made of dilithium in a galaxy desperate for it are we going to see a war or fight over that planet because if it's a federation territory boy 
You know, I, I can just see everybody like, let's go there and take this. Well, I mean, technically, is it Federation territory? I don't know that they ever established oh. where this it was in the middle good of a nebula. Point. Oh, that's a good point. That's a good point. Huh? Yeah. yeah. You know, they're going to find his rights. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if it wasn't Federation territory before it, it is now. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, I, I would like that because I always felt like um, insurrection was so like um, naive in its depiction of what would happen if you found a planet like that. Because they treated yeah. it like, oh, yeah, so like the Federation wants this sort of like anti aging ability of this planet. And so there's some shady Federation people like trying to exploit yeah. that. <laughs> right, exactly. But I'm like, once word of that planet got out, it's not just going to be the Federation. The yes. Romulans are going to want it. Mm-hmm. The Cardassians, like everybody's mm-hmm. going to want that planet. So it's like this whole idea of, oh, we can just say Kumbaya and leave this planet alone is going to like somehow be like the universal salvation. It's just like, that's way too naive. And I would love Absolutely. to like, maybe it that. only works on humans. And cause I mean, the Baku looked pretty human. Right. Well, that's true. That's yeah. true. But no Worf, Worf was being affected by it. Um, yeah, so at least Klingons are also affected by it. So, yeah. you know. <laughs> well, that's because he's Russian. Which would seem to imply that it, general humanoids, at least, um, you know, get, get affected by it. Um, but anyway, all right. So, yeah, we've been talking a long time, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> so long. This is what happens. We're One also... last random thing. Okay. One last random thing that keeps popping into my mind this whole time that we've been talking. And I just, there's been no. I want to see what the Borg are like in a thousand years. I thought uh, that too. have they been affected by the burn in some way? And do they use the lithium? No, they use, they opened up their own transwarp. Yeah, or... they had the transwarp conduits. Right. Um, and every time they talked about the transwarp conduits, I kept thinking of the Borg, and I was like, "Ooh!" But Nathan knows I have a thing for the Borg. So. <laughs> well, the Borg. I mean, Admiral Janeway went and killed them all. We're fine. There's no Borg. Don't right. worry about it. <laughs> and, and that was a fine explanation until Picard established they were still assimilating people like recently. Yeah. So, you know. but, it's not the Federation. I've had the same thought as Stephanie because obviously they haven't been a huge factor, at least in Federation space. But I was wondering the same thing: what happened? to the Borg and then back to the point well since they don't use dilithium and they're basically based in the Delta Quadrant I wondered that too where are they what are they doing now well I, I almost think that off species 6472 I almost think that in a thousand years time either the Borg have been annihilated or they would have assimilated everything by that point so I don't know something happened yeah but uh, yeah I'm Brian any last thoughts on Discovery Season 3 um, uh, basically, I mean, we've, we've covered most of it. I feel like as far as like soft reboots of a series go, they did, they did pretty good. Mm. Um, and I also feel like that their depiction of, of, a, a collapsed federation from an external cause, as opposed to Picard's from a, you know, internal corruption is mm. way better. Um, I wasn't a fan of the personal transporters. I hated those. Um, but uh, yeah, basically, I mean, I'm looking for something to the- has to improve in, in a thousand years, Ryan. Something has to improve. <laughs> <sighs> it just seems like there's so many. First off, everyone would be 
he's like 100 pounds overweight. I mean, <laughs> I go to the bathroom, I, I'm in bed. No way, just I'm transporting there, you know? I mean, so, I'm like sorry. the people in Wally, right? Exactly, I like mean, Wally. Yeah. Forgetting that they already just transport it out of their bladder or their bowels. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's like you're having a bad hair day? Mm, no, I don't think so. Let me just load this buffer from when I had a great hair day yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I get what you're saying as far as like a problem with it in, in like a story context, but in a context of it's a thousand years in the future, to me, it made perfect sense that they've improved that technology. Yeah, McCoy's spinning in his grave, okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there's a whole realm to explore of ways that those can go wrong. That yeah. they, like, they they could like have a whole series about transporter accidents in the future. Mm. I mean, well, that you know, they must be like, or they've completely perfected it. It's got to be like safer than than a blender now at this point in time. Yeah. <laughs> but um, uh, really, the only other things I want to say is I, I think next season they I, I feel like no offense to tilly but like and they should have done it this season but i'll settle for it next season they need a first off a starfleet first officer who is f- from that time period it makes no sense that they didn't have an onboard liaison you know um from the current time period i didn't quite get that so i think there's an opportunity there um I, like they either should have split up the crew and and put them on other ships or if they're going to keep them together that's fine i get it they they work the spore drive best they work together best they needed to, in, to be integrated more into this current starfleet at least to some degree and they could have snuck in there a first officer you know uh who was raised then who's who, you know, whose whose loyalties were in question are they loyal to their captain saru or are they loyal to the admiral you know i there's there's a dynamic that can be at play there um and I'm not a big fan of the new uniforms. I like no, the old ones better. No, not at well, all. Well, but see, here's the thing, Ryan. With the 15 million Star Trek series that we're going to see over the next three years, <laughs> you're, you're going to get those old uniforms plus these uniforms. You're going to have, like, basically a cornucopia of uniforms in different time periods. Uniforms? Pike's going to be in the new uniforms. Uh, Strange New Worlds will be in the new in the in the new old uniforms. But then there's Section Thirty One. <laughs> I think the new old uniforms are the best uniforms we've seen in uh, like yeah. all of Star Trek. Like aside from maybe the red movie ones, I agree with that. Totally. Well, no, 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 no. Mirror Universe Discovery uniforms are the best. Oh yeah, no, mm. no, right there. <laughs> Okay, so the top three uniforms are the red movie ones, the mirror universe discovery, and the the new old Pike uniform. I mean, it it might be a horrible fascist society, but man, they have like the best tailors. (laughs) Their fashion, personal makeup artist, the best hairstylist. Yeah, (laughs) that's great. All right, so um, Keith, uh, final thoughts on season three? I overall really liked it. I think moving to the future permanently was an absolutely bold move. I, as, as I kept watching the show, I literally kept saying, are they going to stay here? Cause in a hit thing, because I had not watched the series for what, two or three years, I mm-hmm. avoided every spoiler possible. I stayed off the internet. I literally didn't know what was happening. So the entire third season, I honestly didn't know that it was a permanent move. I didn't mm-hmm. know that. And so that was, I thought that was an incredibly bold move. And while some of the technology might be, you know, pushing it like the the weird um, non-attached nacelles and the personal transporters, I also give them credit for taking some bold steps and doing some technology. Because sometimes we always say, you know, the Star Trek technology should have progressed a little further. And I think a lot of that was Roddenberry's vision. You know, he was 
he was hugely about it's not the tech, it's the humans. Mm-hmm. And and so like, is there is, has there ever been a starship captain under the Rottenberry days who didn't like live in a house where they didn't have technology? It was really weird. You know, every <laughs> every Star Trek person loves to live in a home where they don't have a lot of technology and they like to read books instead of um, pads. And so I give them credit for jumping to the future. And I give them credit for bringing in super technology, even if you may roll your eyes at it sometimes. Um, I'm looking forward to the future. I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to the answers of that the burn extend throughout the entire galaxy. What about the races that don't use the lithium? I really want to see the Orion Syndicate come back in a different way. And I kind of hope there is something weird with the Federation where we find out, or like you were saying earlier, maybe there are little pockets or different factions of the Federation. Overall, I really liked it. It tends to almost blow apart. And I think that's because of Kurtzman's influence, somebody who I'm honestly not a fan of, but they, they're holding it together. And I hope they can keep doing that in the fourth season. All right. Yeah. And yeah, just like you, I'm looking forward to a fourth season. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the I think that the characters are where this show shines. You know, I mean, yeah. joking aside about the bridge crew, like you know, the characters that actually do get a lot of screen time. You know, everybody from you know Burnham and Saru to Tilly and Stamets and Hugh and all of them. You know, like the emotional core of the series is still pretty strong, and yeah. that's the reason why you're coming back. I mean, even Georgio, even though she's not going to be there for season four, you know, like she again is such an interesting character, and her you know arc was such an interesting thing to watch you know through the series um but uh but yeah i mean i loved them moving forward into the future i mean stephanie and i talked about that you know several times about you know how it would be great if they moved it into the future um because the technology seemed too advanced on the discovery and there were some definitely some continuity issues and so i like that because now they have nothing that they have to reference or do anything with because it's all in the past from their standpoint. So they have no issues with any new things they want to do moving forward. I'm really happy with that. Um, And yeah, other than the thing with Saru, that's my one thing that I'm worried about. Um, I mean, like you guys, I haven't heard anything about Doug Jones. I just can't understand why they made the decision they made. Right. And the only thing I could come up with is if Doug Jones was leaving, but I'm like, but then it seems weird that they didn't say anything because usually you get a press release or something like after the season is over. Maybe he needs to just cut back. Well, then that might be too. Maybe he's just going to be like a reoccurring character, but not a full, you know, character next season. Like I don't, I don't know, but um, but I'm curious what they're going to do with Saru. And to Ryan's point, it's funny. Ryan actually was thinking like I was. I felt like don't make Tilly the first officer because again, it isn't like it's fine if they want to make Tilly a lieutenant and say like, hey, because of all this work you've done, like you've earned this promotion yeah. uh, to lieutenant. Uh, but I think that bringing in somebody from the future Federation as the first officer would be good. If Burnham's going to stick as the first, as the captain, I think that's probably the best case scenario there. Because like Ryan, I agree that, yeah, I mean, Saru made the point, like, don't break the crew up. But at the same time, you would think that, especially with how small their crew is at this point, because remember, it was only like 40-something people that went with them into the future, or 50-something. You would think they'd be like, okay, well, here's some personnel you know, to fill out your crew like that are from this time. Um, and so I think, yeah, just having that dynamic of, of adjusting to like this new crew, you know, these new crew members also, I think would be an interesting thing for them to, to go with. So I agree. Kind of I, I, I'm sorry. I just wanted to also quickly add that I would also love to see, I know they hinted on it and really did actually address it, but I would love to see them, 
have say one member of the crew, maybe one member of the bridge crew who can't take it anymore. And like they steal a ship and their plan is to, you know, slingshot around the sun and get back. <laughs> I mean, you know, yes, they have to leave the data in the future, but there's no reason the crew couldn't go back except for this law. That's really the, I want them to explore that law, the temporal. That's, you're right. That is another one of the fascinating things is the outlawing of time travel. Um, that 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 is something that there's definitely some interesting room to explore there. Which I, I appreciate it. It's clearly a throwback to the temporal wars and enterprise. I'm glad they mm-hmm. you know acknowledge that. Sadly, but um, yeah, it's, there's, I, I'm sure sooner or later one of the one someone's gonna be like you know I had a baby who was four. You know right. I, I want to see them grow up. You know and remember just, there was only volunteers that went to the future. They offloaded a bunch of their crew onto the enterprise before they left. That's so was- true, but people change their minds or, you know, is right. But I'm just going to say like people who had something like a kid that was four probably are among the ones that left. Right. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, that's what I'm saying though. They're not like a skeleton crew. And it just kind of like boggled my mind that they, it's like, okay, the ship got improved, but where's like the new crew to like augment them because a bunch of their crew left on the enterprise rather than going to the future. So Right. You would think you'd want a first officer from that time to show them the ropes and tell her the law and what they can and can't do. Yeah. Right now they're relying on Booker and but they need someone who's, you know, Starfleet trained. Right. Right. Exactly. All right, guys. Well, this was a lot of fun. <laughs> and again, sorry for uh, for how long this has gone. Um, but uh, yeah, let's say our goodbyes now. Let people know where they can find us online. So um, let's start with you this time, Keith. You can find me primarily on Facebook with the ESO network groups. I'm active in all of those. I'm also a member of the Earth Station Trek group where we discuss all things Star Trek as well. Uh, I have a uh, Twitter and Instagram presence, but I don't use them very much. So for me, mostly Facebook. All right. And Ryan, why don't you say goodbye and let people know where they can find you? Yeah, as usual, I would never say goodbye to the internet. Um, We are forever. but having said that, you really can't find me anywhere. Um, uh, maybe twenty twenty one will be the year that changes. I mean, hopefully conventions will come back. You'll be able to see me at Dragon Con. Um, well, maybe I will have to see how I feel about that. Um, How's your website, Ryan? Yeah, exactly, you, dude. <laughs> I looked at it the other day, and my last update uh, was like from twenty nineteen D twenty three. So you know, right? It while. was just before Dragon Con twenty nineteen. Yeah, yeah, I was basically guess I was telling I was saying that oh they they just announced the Mandalorian. I'm like oh that's gonna be a space western. I just know it. And yeah, hello, you know, but yeah, that's. I, know, I that's, love that you said that it was post two of three, and then three of three never happened. Yeah, I, <laughs> three of three will happen eventually, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> about the 2019 d23 yeah sure why not i can tell you if i was right or wrong i don't even remember what it was about but you know, i'd have to go back and see what the other one was i think it was about um the obi-wan series that they announced yeah that sounds right but anyways whatever yeah sure go to geekstranger.com people i mean i'm paying like three bucks a month so go check it out you know tell me i've i've had um every like off topic a little bit but like the past two weeks i'm getting a lot of emails saying someone's trying to hack the password of it like 12 attempts to log into geekstranger.com so if that's one of you guys listening um knock yourself out i'll give you a clue the password starts with the letter go okay (laughs) okay all right
<laughs> oh man see that see ryan this is my issue like you're always like oh i'm too busy to like you know update my website you've had a whole year of like not <laughs> being able to go out or do anything and you still haven't updated your website no i've ha- i mean i've had to work i've been you know i was quote unquote essential you know i mean oh, uh, right 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 how has your commute been ryan <laughs> what do you mean <laughs> i mean like three was... days a week you work at home <laughs> well that, that actually stopped a couple of months a few months ago oh yeah. okay yeah. all right i didn't know that but, <laughs> but I'm like know. so all that time you spent commuting is now like free time for you so. <laughs> <laughs> well let's just say like um what it work is work whether i'm at home or actually in the lab but yeah you know <laughs> but i i know i know i'll get around to it like when i'm old and gray <laughs> <laughs> nice old and gray. <laughs> All right. Stephanie, why don't you say goodbye and let people know where they can find you? All right. Well, you can find me on Instagram as Witch's Teacup, where I post a uh, little bit of tea, a little bit of magic, all that type of fun stuff. Uh, however, it doesn't translate well when spoken because it's witches as in uh, possessive, not plural. Uh, but Instagram doesn't allow an apostrophe. So, yeah, that was poor planning on my thought for, you know, when talking about it. Anyways, over on Twitter, you can find me as Alcrea, that's A-L-K-R-E-A, and on there, I am usually writing about writing. Um, And Witch's Teacup is also over on Facebook and Twitter also, but they're the exact same things you'll find on Instagram. So that's about where you can find me. Um, I've also got another podcast going uh, with another friend of mine that focuses on sci-fi. We do a little bit more episodic uh, dissections of series uh, m- well more so clusters of episodes at least right now we're focusing on Babylon 5 and Battlestar Galactica and it's called So Say We All you can find us at So Say We All cast I'm pretty sure it's the same across Instagram Twitter and Facebook finally I think the last time we talked I only had a uh, in- I only had one of the three I don't know <laughs> 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 it's everywhere now so yeah that's where you can find me all right i'm not here talking with you okay all right well stephanie ryan and keith thank you so much for being on the show yeah thanks for inviting me guys really enjoyed it great time have a great night so that's it for our star trek discovery season three episode we hope that you liked it and we hope that you like that we're doing a lot of star trek episodes in general and you can let us know in a lot of different ways one way is to email us at everything at 42cast.com Another one is to go to our Facebook at facebook.com slash 42cast. You can also tweet to us or go to our Instagram at 42cast on either of those platforms. Or you can go on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. That way is definitely, the Apple Podcast way, is definitely the best way to elevate our podcast in a way that more people will see it. Because the more reviews that we have, the more that Apple will show it on searches. And so even though that's kind of stinky in some ways that that's what we got to do to get our podcast promoted, I'd appreciate it if you'd do that because <laughs> certainly be interested in having more listeners, but I'm also interested in having more feedback. And I really want to know how, what people think of the show, what they think of the kind of topics that we're getting into, and really, honestly, what you think about the dynamics on the show, particular guests that you like to see or like to hear, I guess I should say certain combinations of guests that you've noticed work particularly well just anything like that so yeah just let us know and i'd appreciate it i also want to let you know about the eso network patreon you can find that at patreon.com eso network 
You can see the different tiers. So if you have some funds to contribute and you see one of those tiers, something that you can afford, it gives you some benefits that you like. It helps all the shows on the network. So you can go check that out. You can also check me out on two other podcasts. One is Time Streams, where my friend Juliet and I are going through all of Doctor Who from the beginning. You don't have to get the episodes yourself. I realize it's hard to find Classic Who in the States, particularly, but it certainly does help. If you can watch along with us, you'll get more out of it. But we do explain everything important that happens in the episode, so you don't need to go out and buy anything. You can just listen to our banter. And so, yeah. The other one is Legendary Forces, where Juliet and I again, but also with Joe, Ashley, and Corinne are going through all of Star Wars fictional media. That's all the movies, comics, novels, TV series, everything about that that is Star Wars that takes place in the Star Wars universe, not things like documentaries or making of specials or things like that that talk about the making of Star Wars. It's, it's all the in-universe stuff. We're talking about not only the quality of what we're consuming, the media we're consuming, but also the expansion of Star Wars as a franchise and what that meant to people's perceptions of Star Wars, the different aspects of Star Wars that different media took from, and sort of like this idea of what is Star Wars continuity, does it even exist, stuff like that. So going back to the beginning... We've already reviewed quite a few of the comics from the 70s, as well as the holiday special, some other stuff. Those episodes will be coming shortly. Just want to let you know about that. But yeah, so that is Legendary Forces. In con news, still just Chicago TARDIS. I'd love to be able to say that maybe I can go to Dragon Con in 2022, but who knows what's going on there. Who knows what's going on for C2E2 or Wizard World in Chicago in 2022 also. I know Wizard World was purchased by another company, so I don't even know if their cons will even be called Wizard World anymore. And C2E2 normally is in the late winter, but this year is in December in the late fall because they basically postponed it for 18 months. So I don't know if that means their schedule permanently is going to be off, if they're going to try to do another one in 2022, or if they're just going to postpone to 2023 so that they can do a February or March con like they've normally done or, or any of that. I just, I'm looking at the slate of people that they have for 2022, uh, or I'm sorry, 2021 here in December, and it's no one that I'm really interested in meeting. So it's kind of like, well, I probably would make the effort to go to C2E2 if they had some guests that I really wanted to meet, but I don't have anybody. It's a lot of a lot of anime voice actors this time, and that's great if you're following a lot of modern animes, but I'm not. A lot of my anime consumption is is older stuff or old franchises that might have new material, but even then I'm watching it in Japanese, so like none of the American voice actors. If, if they've had some of the older voice actors that I remember from when I was getting first into anime, I might be a lot more excited. But yeah, it's just it's nobody that I know, so. Yeah, C2E2 I think is out this year. In other news, I mean, Beth and I are still watching all the same stuff, so there's really nothing new there. Oh, I guess we're watching the 4400 now, which is a new series on the CW, which is apparently a reboot of a show from, I believe, the early 2000s, but it was a show I never saw. So because I never saw it, um, I don't have any real preconceptions going into it. It is one that people have told me was really good that earlier show and it's always been on kind of my short list of if i have free time to binge a series i'll go watch the 4400 well i never did get around to watching the original one but i'll watch this new one as it comes out and maybe at some point in the future i'll go back and watch that original one 
I know it is available on Netflix, so it's not like I have to have a, I'm going to have a hard time. Of course, by the time I get around to watching it, maybe it's not on Netflix anymore, but at least for now, it's available on Netflix. I'm not too concerned about it. All right. Well, that is a wrap for this week. Join us back next week when George Takei will not be joining us. And until then, this is Nathan signing off. You have been listening to the 42 cast copyright 2021. Got a question for the ultimate answer? Contact us at everything at 42 cast.com. Theme music is sharper swords by Brandon Ellis. Check out more of his work at www.cityfires.com. The 42 cast is a proud member of the ESO network. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.